Ah. Mama. Mama. We made it. What it, what it, what it do Ladies and gentlemen, sneakerheads and shorties that love the flashy dudes, welcome to the Mama We Made It podcast. Yeah. We have an ultra special guest with us this evening, Steve, Sneaker Steve Patino. Get up for Sneaker Steve Patino. Steve, thank you so much for joining us on the Mama We Made It podcast. Oh my God, thank you so much. I can't even believe that I, all this time, I never knew that was live. Oh yeah. So just listeners out there, this mama, we made it? Like, oh my God, that was live? Wow. We, 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 like, we, I'm like jealous. Like, I wanted to be a part of that. It was like, hey, we're going to do a, a little intro and then... Uh, and then yeah. 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 But I thought it was, let me press a button. Yo. Nah, uh, this is live. We come, we come in and blap them with the mama, we made it. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, one of the biggest things um, that this podcast has really brought us is the essence of the form behind the function behind every smile there's a story and and if you're fortunate enough to cross paths with Steve you'll realize I mean in his essence right now he's one of the most calm collected and just zen dudes that you will ever meet and inside of that calm is like I truly feel like Steve, you as a human being are the epitome of what the embodiment. If I was fucking a Westworld creator and I literally was to take nature and nurture and like give it that like whoop whap and create a Steve Patino, it would be this. But what a lot of people don't understand is that what this is is an accumulation of everything culturally, experience wise, and in life that we've, you've gone through. Um, and it's an absolute honor to have you on. Thank you. Um, the listeners are really going to understand who you are up until this point right now where you're the Don Dada president of Android Home, Ooh. right? But it's going to take a while to get there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dig, dig. <laughs> so, Steve, let's, let's, let's jump right into it. Um, you're a New Yorker at heart and soul. Uh, I feel like New York has truly made you who you are and has given us the gift of experiencing your creative genius and your ability to really, really become the Silk Road merchant that you naturally are. I just dropped a bomb on y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so, Steve, let's start young. Like, what was, what was home like for you? Like, what was growing up like for you? And how was, how was New York as a little kid, like you always, you always think about New York and you see the energy and the, the fast pace, the speed and all that. Yeah. I've always wondered like what it's like for a young kid to grow up in New York. I mean, I think the, the first thing first is that I was born in Queens. <laughs> I was born in Elmhurst Hospital in New York on Broadway. Mm. And Elmhurst is the most culturally diverse community in all of New York. Really? Uh, National Geographic has done studies on it uh, because there's so many different nationalities that live there. Okay. So there's literally hundreds and hundreds of nationalities that live there in Elmhurst well, specifically. It's so, the quintessential melting pot then. Yeah. So, you know, if you look at it from like a macro level, you know, New York is very diverse. Yeah. And 
<clears throat> if you look at it even further, you keep kind of kind of going down, right? Wow. More micro, more micro. Yeah. And then Queens, very, very diverse. Uh, Elmhurst, the most diverse. Really? Wow. And it's really because of its proximity closest to the airports. So as immigrants mm. would come in, they would basically migrate and just stay there in Elmhurst. Wow. wow. So, you know, to answer your question, like growing up, the, the most amazing part was that I was raised in an area with so many different nationalities. So I, I had Korean friends, so I know how to say kai bai bo. Kai bai bo is rock, scissor, paper. Wow. You know, I know what a halmoni is or anyaseo or, you know, to say hello in Korean or mogoso, which means eat faster. Wow. So, you know, I know what a sack sack is, which a sack sack sounds crazy. <laughs> a sack sack is a special a uh, orange juice that they sold only at the Korean shop because that was at the corner. Wild. So I... From a very young age, my friends were Indian, were Thai, were Korean, were black. I can't even say like what I what I noticed from most people is like, oh, yeah, I had the Latin friend and he's Mexican. It was not me. It was like I had the Ecuadorian friend, mm. the Peruvian mm. friend. So I know what it is to go eat Ecuadorian food. Wow. I know what it is to have Peruvian food. And all my New Yorkers listening to this, they know what the salchipapa is. <laughs> Having that, which is like a p- French fry with cut up hot dogs with a grilled chicken. Can we go Yo, get that? Yeah. Let's go get <laughs> that Sachi right Papa, you did. Papa is crazy. Can we put an order in for that? <laughs> you know, my, my best friend, Roy Hernandez, growing up, his, he was Cuban. Okay. And his father was wild. You know, he was a real estate guy. You know, so he would pull, bring me up, you know, take us to school in his Cadillac. So, you know, all these personalities that you see on TV, you know, the Cuban guy from Miami. Yeah. And, you know, it's usually like very territorial so it's like yes. the miami guy the, sure. the the guy from texas it's all there wow and add asia so you know you had the thai friends so i knew what thai food was mm. <sighs> all at a super super young age i had chinese food because it was so much I, some of the best indian restaurants really? i would go there so for me my palate or my understanding of life and culture was so diverse wow that's and that's made me so I can, if you notice me, like, and you'll see my story, why is my network so incredibly diverse? Mm. Why is my appetite or, or ability to live around the world and adapt in so many different states or even countries, and why do I succeed in them? Because it's natural to me. It's my natural habitat. Speaking, that is my natural habitat. Speaking of that, and, and, and this is like, I feel like it's an incredible point to start, is because you've been so comfortable with different cultural hmm, what's the word different cultural experiences so like different was normal for you right yeah and, and it wasn't the, the, the cool thing is that until years 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 later 20 years later yeah i knew that that was different mm. i didn't know that really i didn't mm. know that you that there was kind of like white black and that was it and I maybe mexican really because that how would I know that? You're right. No. We don't know that as kids. You don't know that. Yeah. Especially when you grow up in the capital of just like the melting pot in New York. What was, it's, it's crazy to me because like how much of an influence your surroundings have had on you, whether it be culture, whether it be music, whether it be fashion, all of these things start to come into play. I want to take it to the household, mm. the home. Yeah. Because 
the seed and the birth of of seeing what life is is amongst our parents, right? Like literally we see them and it's kind of like a mirror. Like when people say that, you know, look at a man's parents and you'll see who they become and all these types of things. I feel like it's very true because all of these things, especially when we're kids, we're a blank slate. Mm. right and our experiences and the things that and especially our family which is the closest to us start to really take hold and and morph our character how what was home like for you growing up as a little kid so home you know as, as the youngest i could probably remember which is probably like four and five okay you know was was pretty cool you know a lot of people that know me know this but i was born on halloween Oh, wow. So I remember as a kid, big holiday, you know, always being dressed up, always getting everything for free, you Mm. know, the big parties, going out, trick-or-treating in New York City. Um, Because it's such a pedestrian society, there's tons of kids and people on the street. I lived in a building. Inside the building, there had to be maybe... 100 or 200 apartments in the building yeah and everywhere you're around so if you live amongst buildings kind of like our setting now yeah imagine how many families and kids oh yeah so it was just tons of kids you know the the woman who take took care of me when i was young my babysitter we had a crew of probably like 22 kids 28 kids oh wow where we would play you know kick the can or dodgeball or kickball or baseball whatever we could yeah um, you know, so I'll bring you back to the, like that essence. So I'm growing up on on Broadway, mm. and I'm, I'm on a main street. I'm a block away from a hospital. Uh, there's two parks to the left and the right of me. So okay. I grew up in the parks, playing basketball, playing sports, playing handball. I played a lot of handball Word. Uh, in New York. It's a big sport in yeah. New York. And really, for us, it was more the community of kids. So I had this crew of like 20 to 30 young kids anywhere between like five and 10 years old. And we would jump on buildings. We would go up to the building, up fire escapes yeah. and literally play games where we would go around the block, go catch. It was a game called Manhunt and play these games like 30 deep or 20 versus Man 20. Manhunt in New York had to be crazy. Oh, crazy. Like I played Manhunt in Orange County and I just feel like <laughs> <"Well, it's funny." laughs> Like he's over there traversing up, like, jumping, jumping across buildings. buildings. Jesus, we're literally jumping across buildings. That's wild, dog. At that young age, too, like he said, he said between five and ten. Yeah, like you got like kindergartners. Like really, that's yeah. insane. Yeah, that's that's such yeah. a different. Yeah, you, you think you think in like first, second, third, fourth grade, fifth yeah, grade. Yeah. You know, you're starting to you know because by that time, like going back to the household, right? Yeah. So I grew up, both my parents are from Colombia. Okay. Um, my, my father owned a delicatessen wow. in, in Manhattan oh, when really? we were really young. And my mom would take care of me. After that, what my parents separated when I was seven. So really, that's when I kind of like, I didn't understand it. Yeah. You know, I just knew that my dad was leaving. What if, like, if we can go back to that moment, like as a seven-year-old. To even fathom what that thought is like, what 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 do you think that thought was like? Looking at it now, or was it? Still I didn't understand just, it. I didn't. I just knew that he was leaving, and like, you know, I was seven, so I was like, I don't know. Were you, were you <laughs> close with your father? Yeah, you know, okay. but you know, from like, I believe you start to really remember memories kind of like around three, four. Yeah, yeah. maybe five is when they start to become very yeah like clear. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so then from five to seven, that's a flash. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you know, so I remember vague stuff like coming home and he would have milk and like a banana after dinner, like little stuff or like an Entenmann's loaf of cake, mm. like wow. really small memories of him. Yeah. And then he was gone. So I only really li- like understood him. Think about it. Right. So like three, four years old to like six when I was seven, he was already they were already divorced. Wild. So really my most of my memories in terms of the home life in Queens was my mom, my mm. mother. Take us through that. So my mom is interesting. You know, my mom only has a fifth grade education. Wow. So think about that. Yeah. Like, so I'm growing up in this wild, multi... The jungles. Oh my God. Multicultural community. Elmhurst. <laughs> I'm in Queens, New York during breakdancing, Michael Jackson, Lionel Richie. Like, it's a movie. Like, literally, my upbringing is a movie. So that's what I'm living. Yeah. Yeah. I'm living the 70s in New York, the 80s, the long cars, you know. The 80s in New York. Oh, oh man. Oh, my God. It's just literally a movie. Um, and everything is happening for the first time. By the way, did you, have you seen The Get Down? Yeah, it's The Get Down. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's what's going through my mind right now. Like, you, you saw it in your Yeah, yeah. straight this, up. That's such a vibe, especially that part. And yeah. and that that was it basically. It's mm. it's the get down, you know. The Bronx was definitely a lot sketchier mm. and it was burning during oh, yeah, the 70s. Yeah, yeah. So thank oh. God Queens wasn't burning. Right. Like it's not it wasn't that. Um what what I got to see was a little bit more like you would literally walk graffiti everywhere. Mm. Think of it like the Warriors. You seen the Warriors? Oh yeah. That's what I lived. Oh. Wow. So it was like you had to be careful. Oh, you know, very, very early. It was be careful. So there were those types of gangs, of course, you know, but it wasn't like I'm going to wear a vest and I'm like that kind of crew gang. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit more mature and developed already. So it was more crews versus gangs. Got it. Mm. So it was like there was like a kind of like a rock crew that was there. Yeah, there was this kind of like and then the parks was kind of like. Let's call them like the homeboys, right? Yeah. Like whoever the crews were of the parks, those were the guys that lived in that area that ran that territory. Mm. Got it. So like you weren't going to walk into 78th Street Park or Broadway Park mm-hmm. and try to fuck around because yeah. you would get got. Right, yeah. Right. Like, but it wasn't the gang. It wasn't like LA, got like it. colors and stuff yeah. like that. It was like, yo, we run this shit because this is our park. <laughs> you know what I mean? Straight up. Um, but going back to the home, you know, I grew up super poor. Mm. You know, I grew up, my mom, we grew up on welfare. Wow. I, I grew up on, thank, thank God for that. Yeah. Because I don't know how else we would survive. Yeah. You know, it's I, very formative, no? It's very formative. In what sense? In the fact of like going through these types of things, seeing the resilience that yeah. needs to be had. And, and ultimately, I feel like appreciating having. You feel what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like going through that type of stuff allows because I feel like a lot of kids that grow up in that in in that vein, right, um, have the tenacity of wanting things, mm. right? Like if you think of hip hop culture, yeah. it's so aspirational from the standpoint of like we ain't have shit. Now we do the first thing we doing is going to Jacob. Yeah. When somebody that's like grown up in money, middle class or upper class, are like, well. Why didn't you just invest that in a bond? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But a motherfucker that's never had something is yeah. like, yo, I'm about to go ball out by all the clothes I never had, by all that. But it's like an appreciation for that. And I feel like 
it's wild because I feel like during that time that you were coming up, it was like all of these cultural just phenomenons and phenomena were coming up. The graffitis, the b-boys, the hip-hop was really taking its form. And I want to know, what was that like for your mom, single parent, dealing with young Steve, being that she obviously had to put the world on her shoulders? And I want to get to that, but... What was that like seeing her and, and like operate, if you will? Because mm-hmm. I feel like that was probably very formative to you, right? And then also, were you, were you guys very close or was it more of like once you reached a point of independence, even in your very juvenile youth, was it like, you know what, like the streets is raising me? Yeah. I. I- what I see is we are super close. Got it. You know, super, super close. You know, I'm, I'm the only child. Mm. Oh. So I'm the only child. Mm. My story is that, and she's always said that I'm a miracle because she had me when she was 35. Wow. So every doctor told her, you can't have kids, you can't have kids, you can't have kids. And then she went to the doctors and she, they're like, look, you just can't. You're just health wise, you're not going to have a child. Wow. So she would tell me that she would pray and go to the church every day and pray and pray and pray and pray and she became pregnant like 35 36 wow you know so that's like touching Incredible. to me because thinking about it me you know that's makes me blessing. like they, yeah they would tell her that just when she was even younger like, like no physically at because oh, physically whatever at 35 at 30, oh, she just couldn't and not 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 because it was like oh you know you're 35 so you can't which most so, women kind of like the then the ratio goes down. It was just like, no, your health, you can't. The whole thing. Yeah, wow. yeah like you can't. Oh, Not because wow. you're 35. What, what, it's you what, can't. What was, it, what was her health like? I don't know. You know, Got it's it. just like, they, basically, she just told me the doctors told her she can't have kids. <sighs> and a miracle came out. Sneaker Steve. Sneaker Steve. <laughs> baby. We here. What was your mom like? She was so loving, so caring. Mm. And you know what? I can't front. Like, I think till like probably like maybe into my 20s I took that as a as a given you know because everyone asked me so how's your mom I'm like yeah you know she's great she's amazing she's loving she loves me she Mm -hmm. respects me she supports me and then as you get older and you hear and you see and you go to your friends houses and you see the relationship between them and their mom and you're like holy shit yeah I thought every mom loves their kids and is supportive and and nourishing and and no matter what really helping you guide your life and encouraging and it's not like that it's not like that no no so i really gotta you know big ups and give props to my mom for you know under those circumstances i think now like she never did drugs she never did something wild or illegal which she could have you know done yeah she never did something where it could have she could think about it she could have just lost it yeah. yeah. Like, as you guys hear my story, I did some fucked up wild shit. Yeah. So she couldn't be like, yo, fuck this. Yeah. Like, I have no money. I have no education. My son's fucking, you know, getting arrested. Wilding like, out. Wilding out. Like, what do I? Yeah. Like, why what's, should I? St- what's life? Yeah, what's life? And she didn't. And she just stayed the course and she helped me and she guided me. And I mean, I go to my mom's house. She has hundreds and hundreds of books. Wow. She is relentless about education Incredible. and information herself. She's spent every single penny she's had on educating herself. Wow. 
on self-help books on she's trained and certified in neurolinguistic programming mm. you know so she's an nlp graduate it's wow insane, coming from having a fifth grade education to driving that that much force behind education yeah yeah because think about it right so a lot of us have you know some of us that are immigrants or have immigrant parents you know luckily i was born in the united states so I, and i take that as a huge i wouldn't be where i'm at if i wasn't born in the united states wild straight up word right and for my mom to be able to be born in the 40s in colombia with a household of 13 wow my grandmother had 18 kids wow 18 she started getting pregnant at 14 oh wow yeah. so my grandfather was a pimp she was <laughs> and your grandma your grandmother was a thug oh yeah. my yeah <laughs> straight up in the best way possible <laughs> Woo. 18 years of carrying kids that's like that's such a huge that's an og of your life. yeah she's a triple og <laughs> Wow. So she, five of them didn't survive. Mm. So she actually birthed 13 of them. Wow. And I just like, I found this out last year. Oh my God. I didn't even know this. I didn't know she had 18 kids. So imagine my mom, right? My mom comes from like, grab a broom. Yeah. Fuck school. Yeah. We got to keep up this house. Wow. You know? Straight up. And it wasn't until later in the years that I found out that my grandfather was actually rich. And he had a huge farm and he had a big business. He was a big wholesaler. Mm. My uncles also were rich. Wow. And I didn't know this. So now I get it. Why am I such a merchant? Why am I such a a businessman? It's in my family. Mm. My mom, because my uncles, some of them were just fucking, you know, honestly pissing away their money, gambling, spending money. But the way they came to New York was my older uncles came and were selling gold bricks so they were selling gold in the diamond district and little by little they made so much money that they would bring one sibling at a time Mm. so it was like two brothers go build the fortune bring 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 we could have been in a better position they brought my mom over but then they started gambling and losing all their money oh shit so it's like they had all this money and then moms was just like yeah. Set to fend for herself, yeah. and this is Mama. We made it talk because this I, is I, truly stuff that like nobody made. knows about. This my is family. truly yeah. Mama. Yeah. We made it talk. Yeah. Well, well, when you say merchant, yeah, right. Just take us a little deeper into that because I remember when I asked you first when we got got together for dinner, like I kind of started off and like, damn, like, what made you such a dope designer and all these things? And the beauty of hearing people's stories, you realize <laughs> things aren't always what they seem. Yeah. And you went into how you embodied being a merchant. And it came from your mom totally. being a merchant. Oh, yeah. And, it be- and that came from my grandfather being a being merchant. A merchant. Yeah. Being a, a, a big, this amazing boss. This Road lineage right here. You know, coming from Colombia to New York and my uncles being traders. So what I, this is, let me paint, the, the, so that was my, my mom's mental status, right? Because mm-hmm. she's the, she is the household. Got it. Right? So she's the parent teaching me how to live. Yeah. And she's a survivor. Mm. So what she would do is she owned a little stall in this little mart a few blocks away from our house. So it's yeah. kind of like a flea market. Okay. But an indoor flea market. And she would have her own concession stand. And in there she would sell shoes. She would sell lingerie. Because I don't know if you guys know, which I don't, most guys don't. 
unless you're you got a lot of girls in your life, you do know about this. Um, but lingerie that comes from Colombia is like the softest. Mm. Uh, and if you talk to women about Colombian lingerie, they're already happy and excited. I respect uh, that. That the conversation silk. is getting yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. I'm getting all Colombian lingerie. <laughs> Strictly. Yeah. And that, that was actually one of my go-to moves as a high school guy. I respect like, I'd be that. Like, I'd be like, I'll, I'll talk to a girl and I'll be like, um, you know, you know, just because, you know, Columbia lingerie is some of the best, some of the softest cotton. Yeah. And the girls will be like, yeah. You yeah, got to yeah, treat that body yeah. right there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so I, I learned early. That's lit. I learned early. That's um, lit. So, so she would have this mart and she would sell. And then after years later, that mart developed into my living room. So my living room was literally physical inventory. Wild. So I would see boxes of shoes with inventory, men's shoes. I would see stacks of women's lingerie. I would see little bags of jewelry because wow. my mom would take me to the Diamond District. She had contacts and she would then build jewelry. Mm -hmm. So she's like, okay, you want emeralds because emeralds are popular from Colombia. You want emeralds or you want diamonds for your baby. She was smart. She was like, look, no one's going to say no to like little diamond earrings for their baby. Yeah. Right? So they're like, okay, cool. So she would go create them, buy the diamonds, put the setting on, take me to the diamond district in New York, wow. do that, buy it wholesale, and then flip it. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And she created like this database of cooks, chefs, busboys, bartenders, barbacks, all these immigrants that couldn't buy diamonds and all this merchandise in a store because they would probably feel like, you know, either they don't know how to buy it yeah. or... They feel uncomfortable shopping in stores like that. Yeah. So she would, she's bold as fuck. I she love walks it. in anywhere. To, it's so embarrassing till this day. <laughs> she'll go into any restaurant with me and she'll straight up looking around and she goes, What size are you? Wow. And the guy's like, What do you mean? Like, yeah. She's like, Yeah. What size shoe do you wear? Like, like the way I'm looking at you right now. Wild. Like, this is a 73 year old lady. Just like, she's like this. What? And the guy's like, Oh. <laughs> and I got to kind of look at them like, yo, just chill, just answer the question. Because <laughs> my mom physically still has some of my old shoes inventory and she's still selling it. That's incredible, yo. That's amazing. She's That's a beast. Mama! We, yeah. We yeah. Mama! Oh, yeah. Oh, the sirens. Yeah. You know it's real. You oh, know oh, it's real. Always on a real moment, we have the sirens drive by. Every time. Okay. Every it's time. insane. And hey, Mama, I'm a size 12, by the way. Yeah. So, so this was her state of mind, and she would give credit. So she would literally be like, okay, don't worry about it. Here, just give me 20 bucks. Give me 20 bucks. And she would have her book, and everyone, because she's thinking like, okay, this guy's going to give me 20. I know he gets paid cash at the end of Friday, and she oh. does her rounds. Wow. Oh, wow. So she's collecting, and she's giving these people credit because she knows that these workers don't have money, but they get paid every Friday. Yeah. yeah. So she created. She comes a knocking. So literally, I'd be home, and she's like, "Look, Steve, stay here. Here's your food, and I'm gonna go collect." And she would make her rounds, get Ooh. the money, go to the supermarket, buy us food. Oh wow! Wow! And that's how she made it by herself. <laughs> that's wild. You know, because we had no child support. My dad wasn't giving us anything for child support. That's wild. And I don't think it was because he didn't want to. I think it's just my mom didn't know that he was supposed to. Wow. You know what I mean? Like he moved. He's like, oh, he lives in Florida. So because remember, there's no internet. Yeah. There's no like, I'm going to Skype you. No. no, no there's no, no, no FaceTime. No. Yeah. So did you guys interact during, the, during your upbringing? Yeah. So my father, would, my father moved to Miami. 
So I would do is go summers in Miami. Got it. Oh, so, so I have a huge. That's the quintessential New York lifestyle. Totally. Summers in Miami. Summer in Miami. And because I had 13 uncles and aunts, <laughs> I had crazy amounts of cousins. All in Miami. All in Miami. Awesome. Wow. So we were, I was the New York cousin. So I was the cool one. You know, yeah. I'm like, I'm the New York cousin <laughs> coming to Miami. We got houses. Yeah. <laughs> and my family was smart. You know, from, from the beginning, they all bought real estate. So I, but I didn't know that, you know, it was me and my mom apartment, Mm. but they were buying properties and they were set up nicely in Miami. Um, So I would go, you know, and what was that contrast? Yeah, it was the first, the biggest contrast is the first time I heard bass music, really, which is booty music. 305 MIA trick daddy. How old were you when you first heard it? I was in sixth grade and like I literally one year I fought with my mom so much that I was like, yo, fuck this. I'm going with dad. And I moved to Miami. Oh, wow. wild. So I went from like schools in New York City that have thousands of kids. Yeah. To now going to school in Miami with like an outdoor school. And really? I rode my bicycle to school, which was crazy to me because it's like it's like a fairy tale. Like I ride a bicycle to school <laughs> and my school has, doesn't have a roof. Like What? There's no, like, the, the hallways are outdoors. Insane. Like, my, my school is level. It's on one floor. Because schools in New York are like buildings. Yeah, They're like yeah, four yeah. floors. They build up. Yeah. How, so that was completely different. Wow. How long did you stay out there in Miami? One year. Got it. Yeah. What, what was it like going from uh, kind of the dichotomy of um, going from, like, New York, where it was more poor, to Miami, where you see all this wealth from your family? Like, as a kid... You know, when you're sometimes as a kid, you don't really see it or feel it, right? It, is that, like we've had guests come on that have, uh, you know, grown up very poor, but don't feel it. It's like they, they just feel like a very, until maybe later in life where they realize like, damn, I was really struggling. <laughs> yeah. But you as a kid kind of seeing the two different atmospheres, um, did you actually feel it? Did that influence you in some way? Or um, was it just like that that aspect of it? Was that just not a not a big deal? Yeah, no, I understand. I, I, this is what I believe my my family in Miami was middle class, so it wasn't like I was poor because I was poor, and then I went to a mansion. Uh, it wasn't it. like Fresh Prince of Bel Air, right, right, right. Like I'm, going, <laughs> you know, it wasn't that. Like, I was, yeah, not going to Bel Air for the summer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was like they got a condo, uh, but they own it. Right, right. <laughs> but they own the condo. Which yeah, yeah. physically, if you think about it now, it's a huge difference. Oh, yeah, like difference. I own a condo, I yeah. own a house right, versus right, right. I rent an apartment, yeah, right. one bedroom. Yeah. So financially, it's a big difference, but physically. I'm not going into a mansion. Mm. I'm just going into a condo. Right. So to me, I think the biggest, uh, the dichotomy or the juxtaposition between New York was, was like greenery, outdoors. It was a different environment. Yeah. Music wise, it was something, well, think about it, right? There's no Spotify. There's no SoundCloud. No. Yeah. I literally went into another world. Yeah. <laughs> It's like right. hearing Aborigine music because <laughs> oh, I went into the country like, <laughs> you know, it's like, what for the real? fuck bass? Like, boom, boom, boom. And you see the girls dancing like, what the fuck is that? We come yeah. from hip hop in New York. I'm coming from New York. Yeah. Think, just up. think about that. Like Straight you up. land on a plane. <laughs> yeah. You're in a different culture. Wild. Yeah. That's incredible. Speaking of the culture, what, what, what was the cultural influence like for you at that time? Like that, like early junior high period. Like, cause like right then it's like, 
because I feel like music and fashion and just like your surroundings really, really, really influence you. So like hip hop's coming of age. You already got the graffiti. You already got the breakers, all that. Like the, the, the New York scene is like all the parks and going, like the boroughs are all rocking. You hit Miami, you hear the bass, like the bass music. Like what was that influence to you and how did that shape you then? Because like I truly feel like growing up, I was in proximity. My best friend growing up was a kid that was 10 years older than me. And he started in like the kindergarten and first grade. So I used to always drive with him and he'd be playing Pac. Mm. So like for me, my love of Pac stems from that time mm. where yeah. it was the first artist introduced to me by a Pac head at the time. Mm. So it's like what we really start getting introduced to really like take like forms us, especially in those young years. Like what was that like for you? For me, it was like my, you know, this. think about it, right? So in those time frame, like early 80s, that's Michael Jackson. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's Thriller. Yeah. You know, so you, what we're hearing, you know, you, you're starting to hear like during that time frame a little bit after, you're hearing Guns N' Roses. But then I'm Latino, so like there's people bumping freestyle, mm. right? So you hear freestyle for the first time, which was so huge in the clubs in New York. Wow. Right. So you now all of a sudden there's this just huge mixture. Mm -hmm. So you got the hip hop starting getting huge. Then you got rock. Then you got now house. You got music like Enigma mm. for the first time. Bro. Like I remember yep. hearing that for the first wow. time. That shit blew my mind when I And remember back then it's vinyl. Yeah. So like at that time I'm in my friends like I'm like my my babysitter's older son. His name was Pierre. He was going to high school. And I remember like watching him getting ready to go to high school or to the club, rocking and you know, putting on the vinyl and hearing Enigma for the first time out of his room. Wow. You know how, how melodic it is. Yeah. And being like, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm like, totally. That'll different. put you in a zone. Oh, you know, and and I remember like listening to Soul to Soul. Oof. Back to Life. Oof. And imagine listening to Back to Life for the first time. Yeah. Ever in the world, in the, in the world, yeah. in the world, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Back to <laughs> life, back to reality. Boom. <laughs> and then you know, dancing to it and getting dressed in like, yeah. you know, wearing like literally like a Gap turtleneck, and it's uh. oh, oh. yeah, oh. yeah. There you go. Yeah. So it's just. It's just this incredible moment in history. Yeah. Time in, my, in, in, in just life. Yeah. And everything was fresh. Everything was new. And at <sighs> that same time, we're also watching like for the first time, Friday the 13th. Oh, Mike wow. Myers. Oh. Halloween. Culture. Texas Chainsaw Massacre. What? So imagine like you, you got all this and then you got the pop bands coming up for the first time. So... Now, you're looking at just mass culture, MTV culture, starting to get exploited. Like, TV's coming up. For me, in 86, one of the biggest things was the Mets win the World Series in mm. Queens. So now you're growing up in the 80s, Mets win the World Series. Crazy. I'm on top of the world. Wild. Like, I'm just loving life. Yeah. Wild. Living life. Living life, loving life. Being hit on all cylinders of life. And that's man. why you, as a New Yorker, you, 
you're the center of the world. Yeah. Yes, you are. Like you're literally the center of the universe. I didn't understand like Ohio versus New York sounded like the fuck In Ohio? The yeah. Yeah, literally. It was like Iceland. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what the perspective was. Wild. What? <laughs> like I'm over here just getting like blip lapped with just like culture hitting me at the same time. Yeah. yeah. So at the same time, so that's me, right? That's my home. Now you yeah. got a big picture of what's happening in the culture, what's happening with me, and then I'm playing basketball. Got so it. basketball enters my life. Mm. Now I'm playing at the Catholic schools, 7 to 10. I'm playing for, uh, at that time it was called St. Bartholomew, St. Bart's. Mm. I'm going to St. Mary's. Wow. So I'm building now a skill to play basketball. How old were you when you first started playing? Seven. Got it. And it was an instant like love at first dribble or what? Instant. Instant, really? Instant, yeah. Love basketball. Ball is life. Yeah, ball is life. Take us through that. So basketball for me was just incredible. I loved it. Um, I've always been a great communicator. So me, I was short. I was a point guard. And I would grow up, and, you know, I think at 7, 8, 9, 10, it was just, just playing around with my friends, you know. Yeah. As I got older, it became more serious. Mm. Like, it became ball is life. Yeah. You know, it was a big part of me and my upbringing. And moving forward, I believe that it was a big part to keep me safe, too. Sports kept me out of a lot of trouble um, because it's kind of like, you're neutral. So when you're in a park full of really tough people, yeah. if you're the kid playing basketball, you're okay. Uh, you know, like just don't fuck with them. They're just ball. Yeah. They're the ballers. They're like, they're not trying to be tough. Wild. And in, and in a tough environment, you got to kind of find your safety zones. Yeah. What, yeah. Were, what were your friends like at the time? So, so now it's, you're going into like 80, 88 to 92. So now I'm getting into, I'm between like 10 years old and 15. Mm -hmm. A lot happens during that time. Okay. Because now you're going from, you're not a little kid anymore. Now you're in junior high. So now you're experiencing stuff. Now you like girls. Now you got to be cool. You're setting your kind of like social statuses within school. Yeah. You're really trying to figure that out. Yeah. And, I, you know, I always tell the story that while I was in junior high, the movie Coming to America was being filmed. Yeah. So Eddie Murphy's coming to Queens to find his queen. Wow. And literally on Queens Boulevard was the Soul Glow ad to the left. And we would cross going into Maspeth. And to the left was the Soul Glow ad. And the Wendy's, which is still now on, on Broadway on Queens Boulevard, was the McDowell's. Wow. That they took over. <laughs> Shout out to McDowell's. Shout out to McDowell's. That's yeah. incredible. Hakeem. <laughs> What was junior high like? Junior high was interesting because it was the first time I was actually taking public transportation. So mm. I, got a, I got a bus pass. And now I'm going from my predominantly Spanish-Asian mixture of, of, a, of a community. I'm going like a mile or two into Maspeth. Maspeth was primarily Italian. Mm. Wow. So it was more like a white Italian neighborhood. You know, more like Guido's. Why were you going to school there? Because that was the zone junior uh, high. Oh, uh, okay. And I would go there. It was a bigger school mm. where now I had the liberty to like go outside for lunch. So I would go outside of lunch, collect baseball cards, buy gum, buy Cheetos, whatever I could buy with like a dollar or two dollars. Yeah. You know, there was a local store. And that's when the girls also started to develop. 
So my eye started to go to fashion and girls. Like that was my, like the second I got into junior high, I'm like, holy shit, girls are cute. For real. You know? And during that day, you know, during that time in New York, like girls had style too. Yeah, they did. So like their style, yeah, the hair was amazing, you know? Um, You start to see girls with bodies. So it's like different. Yeah. And we're Latino, so it's, you know, something good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, And so that was junior high. Junior high was like, for me, pretty chill. Okay. Um, really, I was a, you know, I would say I was average student. Okay. Not too good. Um, not too bad. Got it. And junior high there is just a couple years. Yeah. Are you still balling at this time? Yeah. Still, still, still balling, playing handball. But I start to get in love more with the street versus like, I, I start to become less innocent. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I start to become less a kid and start to like be involved with the street versus like, I just want to be a good kid in school. When do you think that really started to like develop, if you will? I think just naturally in junior high, the bad kids are usually the cooler kids. Yeah. So you kind of like just see what's the cool crowd, Mm -hmm. which is really stupid. You know, if you think about it, that the bad kids are the cool kids and you kind of go that way because you want to be cool. Yeah. Not because you want to be bad. Yeah. I That's feel like deep. also in, 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 in those ages, it's more of like we're trying to be accepted, right? Totally. Just as like youth because like kids in general are fucking ruthless, right? Oh. Like it's wild how ruthless we are as kids and then kind of see it develop. But like to that point, yeah, it's easy for us to look back and be like, damn, like why aren't the like inspired cats the cool cats? Or why aren't the, the, the motherfucking artists the cool cats? Because Or like the smartest kid in the class yeah. is like killing it. But it's like it. at yeah. those times, they're so juvenile in that creative aspect. Yeah. And it's also like the, the ruckus makers and the troublemakers and the kid that's like good looking in junior high and becomes the ugly motherfucker in high school and college are <laughs> like the cool jumps, right? And then to be accepted, I feel like a lot of people gravitate towards that like oh shit well if i can get in yeah. and assimilate then it'll be popping yeah i mean i i hope that so many you know because i know a lot of people that are our age now you yeah know, a lot of us are parents or going to be parents and i just hope that they instill in their kids that you know really teach them that being bad doesn't equal cool no in the long run yeah and really i think it's for us to create more leaders yeah. and teach and create those communities where education, being smart, being creative, being artistic, that is cool. Yeah. 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 The other side, that's the easy side. It's yeah. easy to be bad. You know what, you know what's crazy? I, and I've been thinking about this a lot. It's crazy you bring that up. It's like, I truly feel like if we as parents, I'm not a parent yet, by the way, but if parents in general felt comfortable talking to their kids about being original and just being comfortable being them, Mm. Right. In finding what their voice is and being comfortable, not knowing what it is, but in the search of it. That way, it's like if you're different, like you can accept it earlier. Yeah. Right. And also like you come to realize is like the strict ass parents, the ones that don't want little Sally to have a boyfriend. She's the first one experimenting with a blowjob in the seventh grade. Mm. Totally. Right. Or like the, 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 the kid that's like their mom's like, yo, you can't go there. The dude, they're going to go there. Yeah, totally. Imagine the, Always. Like, imagine the, the mind fuck that it's just like, look, you're going to go through these things in life. 
right? I want you to learn on your own, but just understand that I'm always here to talk to you about it because I've been there. Yeah. And I know that for you it's different now, right? I'm still the old guy now. I used to be the cool kid, but like, okay. But feel free to talk to me about it. Yeah. I feel like if that was, if if that's how parenting was led, because it's a, really uncomfortable because it's like there's no control there, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like, I feel like if that is the driver, you'll have kids really way more open to open up and be like, yo, pops, like, I don't know what to do here. Yo, mom's like, you know, I'm dealing with this boyfriend or girlfriend and it's this way as opposed to like sneaking around them and just solely letting like your peer group handle what's right and wrong. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think I I think in a very deep way it has to be a more massive consciousness. I'll give you a few examples, right? Please. If you think about most kids are not going to listen to their parents. Yeah. Right. So that's almost the routine or the pattern that you're like, okay, well, this is the way to do it. I did it this way. So learn this way. Mm. That almost falls to deaf ears. Yeah, absolutely. I believe that parents, us, you know, us as the older community have to come together more to create a consensus around what is cool and show examples to say, look, kids, you're going to do this and I'm not going to just cheer for the football you know, I'm not going to cheer for the guys that are just in playing sports. Right. These are the communities that are cool, that are killing it. Maybe it's a music production. Maybe it's an entrepreneurship program at junior high or college. Maybe it's an arts program where people could be like, okay, uh, maybe it's teaching them how to do podcasts. Maybe it's all these different things that the kids could be like, holy shit. And if they start to get attention yeah, because they are cool. So actually through the physical example of a massive or a bigger consciousness, yeah. they then become cool. Yeah. yeah. Then it's real. It's almost like like my kids are not gonna drink soda. Right now it's not cool to drink soda. Right, yeah. right, right, right. So but it's a consensus. Yeah. More parents are not like, I'm not taking you to McDonald's. Ew, McDonald's? Yeah. Ew. Yeah. yeah. I don't eat McDonald's. Straight up. But back then, we all ate McDonald's. Back, yeah. then, back then, I literally forgot my lunch at home because my mom would bring me McDonald's. Straight, me too. I was a fucking chicken McNugget. <laughs> yeah. I was literally a chicken McNugget. I was like 250 pounds, which we'll talk about later. Straight up, I was like a 20 piece. I don't even think like it's legal to sell them anymore. <laughs> That's incredible. No, but I completely feel you. And it's crazy because I look at like, First of all, let's take a moment and, and congratulate Steve because he got a little baby boy on the way. You know Ooh, what I'm saying? Yeah. It's, it's wild because I look at like you about to have a little son, AJ with his daughter, Gavin and Fred with Gavin's daughter and Fred's son. And you got all these cats having kids. Now, Peter Benedicto and his two children. Yeah. I look at that and I'm like, yo, I'm so excited for them. Right. And even you look at like Jerry's kids and all that. Like, I'm so excited for them because all of their uncles, literally in like direct speak and just culturally, are all the cool cats. Like, these kids are growing up amongst like their parents and their parents' friends that really at this point have reached a really incredible point of creativity and oneness in each other's spheres. And it's like, there's no way these kids don't become just like the dominant forces in the next generation. Yeah. They are. Because they're literally around cats that have gone through everything and are now leading the cool, yeah. if you will. And that's natural selection. Mm. 
right? Because you think about it, right? The strongest will survive. Yep. So each one of us has been through a journey and a story to get here. Yeah. So for us to even create this community of amazing people, of our friends and peers, yeah. we've all journeyed here. And now our kids are a product of that. Absolutely. So that's where the natural selection is. So now, you know, I talk to my wife about it. I'm like, look, I grew up in Elmhurst, public school, on welfare, our son is probably going to go to Beverly Hills High. Yeah. It's wild. For real. That is wild. Like the disparity in Straight one up. generation. Yeah. Straight up. And even more, my mom grew up on a farm in Colombia, and I went to NYU. Yeah. I went to Stern School of Entrepreneurship. <laughs> I went to Vassar College. Right. She grew up on a farm in Colombia. Yeah. With a fifth grade education. Yeah. My son will probably go to Beverly Hills High. Yeah. Beverly or Loyola. So if you look at the lineage, right? And if you look at that, now our group. Yeah. Right? Dougie's kid. Dougie's kid. Mm, Dougie's Jerry's kid. kid all of these, like all of our friends' children. Yeah. They're going to grow up amongst beasts yes. of parents. But we made it here. Yeah. Right, so we our journeys got us here, yeah, and that's why they're going to have a completely different yeah. experience. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And that we, one, I got to go to the bathroom. Get that. Yeah. We're good. And we're back, better than ever. Woo! We had another change of state. Me and Steve did a yeah. shadow box. Let we're all hi- hydrate. We're all hydrating like crazy. You're gonna not hear us or see us dip and dive back to the restroom, but hey, that's us. <laughs> Anyways. Um, we're going to take it into high school briefly, but I feel like in junior high, like it, let's go into that like seventh, eighth grade transition. Like you came in at junior high seeing the clothes and the chickies and, you know, understood the importance of Colombian threads on a lingerie <laughs> at a very young age. Baby girl, your body's morphing. Know that you just need the most exquisite fabrics on your body, Right. Um, you started getting into more of like the girls and the clothes, right? Which to me is literally just the, the, uh, formula for just like being the hype beast of the cool cat before that was even like a thing, right? Let's take it through that love of like females and style and how it guided you to, towards your next chapter in high school. But like, what were some of the formative things that you can remember during that time? in that transition so I mean the most exciting I think for me was clothing and I Mm. knew that the clothing I was already I had a good sense of style since early turtleneck popping yeah Yeah. it was all you know a lot of corduroy a lot of like prints on the corduroy yeah when are corduroys coming back though on a sidebar though you know they need to they need to and you know this is the time of like guests Mm. so guest jeans and overalls oh yeah you know and high top fades and so you're you're looking at like literally you know whether it's big daddy kane or you know so it's that era Mm. you're thinking in terms everything is about like smooth smooth operator Uh. the music what was pumping at that time yeah uh special ed so during that time what i found out is I had a good sense of fashion and I knew that the girls always liked the guy that could dress. Mm. Yeah. So that was really my attention. And what it led me to was I would buy. And the interesting part about that is like everyone's book bag back then was a gap bag. 
I don't know. Did you guys do that on the West Coast? No. no. So literally nobody had a book bag. When you went to the Gap, they had a drawstring bag, a white drawstring. Oh, wow. And everyone would go to school oh, with a Gap bag. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> that, that's just, insane. Just with the bag that you like, buy clothes Yeah. In? Oh, and then they would put, that's what you brought to school. And that was it. That's oh, wow. wild. Yeah, so literally. Jansport was not popping then. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> so it was literally, you went to school with your Gap bag, and I would then at that time, really early in my community, there was where places where people would buy stolen clothing. So I would go really? and buy stolen clothing in houses in Queens. So how did you cut like that? <laughs> well, hold the phone. <laughs> let me let me gather my composure real fucking quick. How in God's name did you like I'm cool with them being there. Yeah. Awesome. Everything exists. How did you have the plug? It was like this Spanish, Latino, Colombian I connection. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, you know the lady, or do, who's the lady? You know, and you got to know who's the lady. Oh, wow. And you would go to these addresses, and it was all underground. It was all word of mouth. And you would go to these apartments that were literally full of racks of clothing wow. that were all stolen. And they were coming from wherever, whether they were shopping outlets upstate, no. or they would go cross-state. I don't even know how they did it. Wild. But we would go, and we would shop. So I would buy like Gap, Benetton, OP, Tommy Hilfiger, Guess, Jerbo, like whatever I know I couldn't afford. Yeah. You know, in junior high. And I remember just being so excited. Like, cause I was like, with a hundred bucks, I could buy like three outfits. Were you wow. working at the time? Uh, <clears throat> this is like junior high, no. This is like seventh or eighth. So. My first job was cleaning glass windows at like uh, my mom's flea market. Wow. So maybe, yeah, it was probably. I'm saying a hundred bucks to go shopping as, yeah. like a, as a middle school. hundred bucks is like, whoo. Yeah. Yeah. You're stacking up. Yeah. yeah. So I was probably saving that money. Yeah. Uh, that way, you know, 10, 20 bucks at a time. Yeah. yeah. 50 bucks, whatever. But even with 50 bucks, I could buy two or three items. Yeah, you yeah. live. And I was, I was like just through the roof. You so the excited lady. walking home. Knowing I got new Gap stuff because I knew I couldn't go to the mall and buy it. Right. That's wild. Was it a thing where like the families knew or was it like just the cool kids got up in it? No, like, no. The families knew. Yeah, it was the, it was the community. It was Latin. It was something that just happened underground. Mm. Kind of like how people know where the crack house is yeah. or the weed spot is. If you're in it, you know. Yeah. It's all word of mouth. The threads, man. Yeah. What was your like... Thinking of Android <laughs> Home now, yeah. what was your kick game like back then? So back then, you know, for me, it was like the first Air Maxes I got. Mm. So, you know, for me, I was I was also part of a very special time in sneaker culture. Okay. So I remember getting the first David Robinsons <laughs> to come out, the first Air Maxes. Air Maxes came out in 86, 88. Mm. So I was ready. I got the first ones ever. Wild. The first time the world sees air. Wild. <laughs> Yo, for real. Yeah. So this is like now I remember going to school, buying the white with red Air Maxes. Classics. Going to school. <laughs> classics. classics. Like just. Shit. But imagine. I'm fucking wearing air. Yeah. <laughs> air. Like, oh, shit. I'm fucking Mind walking blown. on air. Yeah. You're just like, I'm like an astronaut at that I point. I feel you. Yo. 
That's Classic. insane. And I remember having the pumps for the first time. <laughs> you know, seeing D Brown at half court yeah. when he was playing, and all of a sudden he pumps D the Brown. air. <laughs> During like the slam dunk contest. That's classic. Oh, you know, so I grew up during that Jordan era. <sighs> Jordan and Larry Bird. Yeah. You know, just watching him and Bird go back to back. Knicks, Patrick Ewing. Yeah. You know, following uh, all NCAA basketball when, you know, Ewing was coming from Georgetown. Wow. The Syracuse Orange Men. You know, just a, <sighs> it was like. A really, really special time mm. in terms of NCAA sports, yeah. NBA, fashion, culture. Yeah. And it was really the first time from a commercial level that brands started to become hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollar brands. Yeah. Because this is the MTV era. Yeah. Got it. This is the now hip hop is becoming globalized and is becoming commercialized for the first time ever. And it's all super aspirational, dog. Like, oh. you over there hitting up Miss Chacon's spot, like, with the jump-offs, with the gaps and all this. And then you, you hit Air Maxes. Like, you putting together pieces for 100, copping the sneaks. Oh, and then, and then now, like, you're getting into the early 90s. I'm getting into high school. Yeah. And, and, and if I'm allowed to, this starts to come off. Uh, 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 let it run. Godson. Woo! Yeah. This is the most beautiful part. <laughs> we got the guests playing the music Woo! right now, baby. Yeah. Uh. 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 Woo! Uh. Okay. Uh. That bounce. Ah. Uh. One of oh, the greatest to chills. ever do it. See, chills. That's, so that's like, literally me. That's the soundtrack of my life. So now I'm walking ooh. through, right? I'm walking to high school. I got Nas, Illmatic for the first time. Oh. Like literally, I got chills Goose. right now. Goosebumps. <laughs> for the first time. For the first time. That's, that's the world crazy. hasn't heard this yet. And it pops off. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh man. I got to take a sip of tea, man. Take a sip take, of tea, dog. I'm going to take one with you. This is just, like, you got to think, man, it's 94, right? It's New York City. It's New York State of Mind. Now, I'm, like, going into high school. So now, I'm a little bit older. Yeah. I'm 14. And I still remember, like, the first day of high school, going in, and I just saw high school girls for the first mm. time. I was like, holy This is shit. when the girls are starting to become women. Yeah, yeah. And I saw big girls, like Ugh. tall girls for the first time. I was yep. like, holy shit. Yep. Like, these are women. They look like literally like yeah. Cindy Crawford to me, yeah. you know? Oh. And I was... Women. Yeah, women, yeah. Women, yeah. you know? Yeah, for real. And, and it's funny because now, now imagine, right? If you talk to a high school kid, you talk to them like a baby. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. But I was having... Man ideas oh, yeah. at 14. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't thinking like a kid. Yeah. I was right. a man, like, holy shit. Yeah, yeah what's up, man? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I came in front, I was intimidated. Like, I feel freshman you. year, seeing a junior girl, I was yeah. like, holy shit. <laughs> Yo, this is a for, New York for real. junior. Yeah. Very different. Yeah. Very different. Very different. Very like, different. Like, she'll fucking cut you. Yeah. <laughs> straight up. Like, maybe she's got a shank. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, and definitely she's got mace in her purse. Um, so now this is, I'm going to Newtown High School. There's 5,000 kids in my high school. Oh, wow. wow. 5,000 Wow, that's insane. Students. That's like a small city, dude. Literally. It really is. Literally Shit. a small city. Like, I've been to small cities, and they're like, literally, like, that's like half our population. Yeah. That's insane. So 5,000 kids in a high school. You got 30-something classes per grade. You got 40 students plus, and... You're just looking at like, oh my God, there's like a thousand plus kids per grade. <sighs> it's a huge building. I go in, it's a big mixture. Cause now you got, there's like Dominican communities and there's like Dominican gangs. Then there's Colombian gangs. Then there's like the Asian gangs. There's the black gang, black crews, all coming from different areas into this high school. Cause remember, it's so culturally diverse. Yes. So yeah. people start forming cliques, right? And now in high school, I'm like, oh shit, I got to step my game up. Mm. And at this time, if I'm watching Nas, Nas is my hero. Yeah. You know, straight up, like straight opening up, up the Source magazine, seeing Nas with, with, with like a bandana tied up kind of to the front on a motorcycle, yep. you know, with overalls, one down, being the coolest motherfucker in the world. Hometown hero. He was my idol. Yeah. You know, like when we look at Queens, you look at Nas. And the fact that I get to now say what's up and be at D's wedding next to Nas. Yeah. It's just crazy. Crazy. You know what I mean? And Full like, circle. And we're both from Queens and we're like <coughs> adults and, you know, Nas is more Android home. So insane so right? many times in my life i've been able to tell Nas, like bro you have no idea man yeah. like, you know and just to have that gift to be able to talk to him in that yeah. way is incredible uh so now high school i'm in another mindset i'm now wearing Averex. i'm wearing polo i'm wearing nautica mm. i'm wearing tommy hilfiger you stepping up oh yeah now my my it's fashion fat, game is just literally like my only goal in life is to destroy everyone. Wild in high school, Wild. like on the I'm, fashion tip. Just, yeah, yeah, on the fashion. You tip. had you had that dead set, dead set. Like I'm going. Why, why was why was that such uh, in the forefront? Because I think that at that time it was like I knew that I had a power in that, and that there was power in that, what do, and what there do was you a mean? tension because. Remember, in public schools back then, your clout depended on your style. Mm -hmm. So if you had an ill style, if you had ill clothing, you were ill and you got attention and yeah. the girls liked you. So I knew that I had to have that. Mm. And that was it. Because it wasn't really about like having a car. <coughs> it was more about your clothes and your style. Yeah. That was what gave you your clout. That was your social currency or your status, Word up. your fashion. Yeah. And for me growing up, that was my goal. So I literally, I was like in Averex jackets. I had three Averex jackets as like in high school. I had maybe five or six North faces. My style, because I was going to Manhattan a lot, I had a very different style than the Queen style. So I was where Ralph Lauren, I was a low head. So I wore head-to-toe Ralph Lauren polo socks, polo shoes. Oh, you lit. Polo jeans, polo yeah. belt, 
polo cologne. Oh, wow. Yo. Polo jacket, polo book bag, polo headband. Yo. Ralph Lauren had to toe. Everything. Everything. Yo, we need what, do, do, please tell me we got flicks in Oh, these, I got though. flicks. Yeah. What was that? Yeah. come through and I was go literally, through memory so lane. So I was part of a crew called the Low Life. So they Yo. were like low life crews, and my friends were also low lifes. So we wrote graffiti. We rocked low. We went to the clubs. We only dated girls that rocked low. Oh wow! So our girlfriends wow. rock head so to toe low. It was that deep, like oh, it was, a, it was his own subculture community. Dog. Yeah, yeah. What was the queen style like? Queen style, depending on your nationality, uh. right? So like the Asian kids were dressing like Asians, which is different than how the black kids dress. The Colombians were their own way. Like the Colombians were more like how they would dress in Colombia, you know? So it was like different haircuts. So basically like my haircut, which is here with curls in the back, which is basically we created the swaggy P haircut. Mm. So if like the swaggy P that haircut do, it's kind of like that semi faux hawk (laughs) fade low here to the curls in the back. That is a Colombian haircut. Straight up. Let it, if you Google right now, Colombian haircut, it'll be the Swaggy P. That's fucking <laughs> <laughs> And I, I'll show you guys like hey. here, like what's the hey, you didn't the vibe with, You didn't vibe with that at the time? No, not, not the Colombian. The Colombian shit was like too hicked out, what we call a hick. It was yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, it was literally <laughs> like, I'll show you here. <laughs> This would be Cruz. Like, just everyone completely had to toe in love. Oh, y'all wilding. Yup. Yup. I wish y'all... Yo, this is insane. When you hear, like, Raekwon talking about the Snow Beach jacket, that is all polo. On the cover of uh, one one of those albums. Yeah. Uh, Snow Beach. Yeah. Or the stadium jackets with the 1992. Dog, this low-key looks like Mayhem Lauren and and French Montana in this pic. Is that them? I think Raekwon and, and Ghostface were like out. lightweight. Yeah, no. Nah. So look, this would <laughs> this would be us. This would be us in front of a club. Oh wow! Oh y'all wildin'. That's lit. Straight head to toe. We literally have two, three thousand dollars of clothing on. So it would be like I'm wearing a polo. Polo. Yeah. Then on top of it, like a woven plaid polo. Then around my waist, a polo sweater, <laughs> polo socks, polo jeans, polo sport cologne. <laughs> like, this shit was Just fucking crazy. Fucking wild, dog. And we I love would, that that brought you guys together. And what, what was the click like? I mean, look at it. Look at it. And it's, and it's girls and guys, and you can see it. Yeah, that's lit. So what it would be would basically you would go to the clubs and it would all be on what low you had. So there's levels of low. So did you did you have like a a suicide sweater, which was called the Sui, which is actually during the Olympics in 92. There was a special in 88. There was a special logo graphic where it's a guy's doing like a free fall on a ski, which is called the Sui. Right. Or it was a teddy bear knit. What teddy bear was it? The executive or, you know, what? so it's depending or the number oh, two. Wild. There was echelons of loneliness. Oh, yeah. And if you go to like even some of these reseller markets or, you know, like there's huge guys still in these, like Taz Arnold. You'll still see him in amazing old school low. There's just so many. Kanye, definitely a low head. You know, he would be wearing head to toe low as well. So there's a community that started mostly in Brooklyn called Low Lives. And they would go in and steal. So we basically would go into department stores and steal polo. 
Oh, wow. Wild. And we would go in and just figure out different ways. Like we would wear these book bags and understand there was something called up the back or down the leg. So if you watch the movie Kids, when he tucks his jeans and his socks, mm. what he's doing is, I'll show you right now. So what he's doing is basically he's tucking this into this, right? And he's creating a pocket. <coughs> like let's say I wanted to steal a phone. I can then take the phone, put it down my Wild. leg. Wild. And then I know that it'll go down. So like let's say here, right? Because I got holes in it. Now all of a sudden, right, yeah. this goes here. And imagine because this is baggy area. Yeah. Right? So this goes into here. And you're so just now stocking up. So I just stole something. Now That's insane. So that was called down the leg. So down the leg, y'all, what y'all didn't see Steve so eloquently fucking like portray is you take your jean, you pull your sock over it on the bottom, right? And depending on the garment and the size, you either go on going underneath the waist or you pull the zipper down and throw a phone up in there yeah. and you just you catch him, little book back here? catching like, all types now, of things. Yeah. yeah, like in kids with the 40. With the 40? Straight yeah. up. Yeah, so I'm going to show you what up the back was. So like this, so now we would go and we would wear all these hiking book bags. Yeah. So we would then take the book bag... And let's say I'm walking through a store, right? And I see this here. This is a big piece of item, right? Yeah. Right? So I see it, and I would just go up the back. Woo! So you see how quick that was? Oh, that was wild, dog. Oh, shit, dude. <laughs> hey, what the hey, fuck? Hey, he what still the, got it, though. Yo, Noosh, lock hey, your shit up, dude. He still got lock it, though. Lock your shit up, Noosh. Lock Steve your shit got up. the up the back like it's hot. Oh, I'm literally shit. chaining all the fucking picture frames oh, I got. Shit. That up the back was fucking flawless. <laughs> yo, that picture disappeared, Yo. dog. That was so clean. <laughs> that was the coolest shit I've ever seen. Hey, yo, he up the back David Blaine the shit. Yo. That- oh, my God. That was, the, that was the cleanest shit I've ever seen. Yo, that up the back was so fucking flawless. God. Wow. Damn, so y'all had the bottom and the top locked in. What what was it? okay? So and literally, it would it would that so that was what was going through your head? Were you just fearless? It was just youth shit, or like what what was it like? Like what what, what it was, was your mentality then? What it was is like I had to be fly. Mm. I was broke. I was poor. I had to be fly. Yeah. So it's like by any means necessary. Yep. Yeah. You yep. know, and it's just that. And I was young, and I was very stupid. Yeah. And I would also be scared. Because I knew it was real, and New York City cops are fucking no yeah. joke. So you could get arrested. A lot of kids did get arrested. Yeah. And shit, with that up the back, dog, I don't even know if they saw a motherfucker do it. They that didn't. You know. They you, did. You, you could have been on camera with an item, and they must have been like, "Oh, did that just disappear?" Yeah, just disappeared. Literally. And we've built. Uh, you know, you just know how to. <laughs> yeah. You know, just as a little kid, you know, you you, you just. You just do stupid stuff. And I respect that. You but still you, you small still, stuff. You, you like, still have flawless technique. Yeah, like, like, you know, but we would do it for like potato chip. We'd go to stores. We'd yeah. go to whatever it was. Like, literally, like if it was an ice cream, a yeah. 40, like in the movie, whatever it was. Yeah. You just created this skill set. Yeah. Straight um, up. And so that's me like 14. Mm. And then I start to work. So I then have to like get a job. So okay. now all of a sudden... I start working at a supermarket in Manhattan. At the same time, I'm cleaning. My mom was cleaning apartments in Manhattan, and okay. she was also cleaning high-end hair salons. Uh, so I would go on Saturdays and Sundays and clean with her. 
Word. So I would be cleaning the floors, sweeping all the hairs up, cleaning the mirrors at a hair salon. So I had two jobs at an early age. What was that like for you? You know what? Was it like it a was man? like at fourteen? I was like, I need money. Yeah. And I need to help my mom. Yep. So I have to work. So that was the catalyst, helping and, your mom. And I have to, I'm the man of the house now. Word. Ah. And the big part at 14 is my father died. Ooh, so wow. it was like, now, oh shit, Steve. Fuck. You're literally the man of the house. Like your mom can't call your dad. You can't do nothing. I'm in New York City. I'm in a high school. It's the 90s. It, streets are wild. I'm growing up in a wild environment and I'm the man of the house. So at 14, I had to mature very, very quickly. So what was that like? Because you're with your pops being in Miami, he was still there at the time? He was in Miami, yeah. It's, it's crazy that even though he was gone for so, for that, so much part of your life, it was that moment where... That's what made you feel. That's what made you sing it to your mind. I got to be the man of the house. Yeah. Mm. When he uh, when he passed away, what was that moment like for you? Aside from being man of the house, just in terms of like family and your mom and what it meant for you to take like this next step? Because you know you're a teen, you're doing some street shit. Was there an added responsibility? Were you dealing with your father's passing? Who who was Steve at that moment? Mm. I I was. I was definitely lost. You know, I was lost. I was like, I'm 14 and I'll take you back a step. Right. So I remember it happened really quickly. Mm. So I went, my my father got ill with his liver. Mm. So my father suffered from the nerves. He was like a nervous person. Got it. And he was taking medicine for his nerves and all of a sudden, he goes to Colombia for an operation, and two weeks later, he dies. Wow. wow. So wait, wait, was it from the operation? From the operation. Whatever wow. they did, they fucked up. No way. Yeah. Holy And, fuck. you know, to my extent, that's what they told me, though. You know, so I don't, to the, I, like, I don't know in Colombia exactly what happened. Yeah. But what I do know is that he went for the operation. And didn't come back. And came back and passed away. Oh, wow. So it was like literally like two weeks. And I then just, my only memory of him was literally like on his deathbed, me looking into his eyes. His eyes were yellow, not white. Wow. And I was scared to even touch him. Oh, man. And like it's crazy for me to even think back like that you yeah, know and yeah. I, I just remember that memory like i was scared to touch his hand and i was like i gotta get out of here wow. and then the, i think the next day was the wake mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden i kind of like for some reason it was something like they said give me a sign like make sure you can hear me like close your eyes if you can hear me because he couldn't respond he closed his eye he teared and i was like Oh, this is too much for me. I'm fucking 14 wow. years old. I'm like, get me out of this room. I don't even know who you are. Wow. And because he was so scared, you yeah. know, like on your deathbed, you look yeah. like, straight up. You look like, uh, you know, you don't, look, you look really old and wrinkled. And you, it was just wasn't my father. Yeah. It's wild. Joe, you brought that, Joe brought that up like literally a week ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, insane. I just had a, one of my really closest relatives pass away mm-hmm. a week ago. 
Wow. And um, sorry to hear that. Yeah. Oh, and, both of y'all, dog. and I was telling him, you know, I was in the hospital as he died. Holy shit. And but when I walked in that day, I walk in and I see him, you know, he's still alive at this point, but unresponsive. But I walk in, he's like, you know, hooked up to the oxygen mask. Yeah. I walk in and immediately I was like, oh shit, my bad. And I walk out and I go to the nurse's desk and I'm like, yo, can you tell me, um, you know, where Fred is? Uh, exactly. Like, that's not even him. It's yeah, like, where I, is so and I was, And I was like, my bad. I walked in the wrong room with this guy. <laughs> totally. And they're like, no. I can relate. Yeah. And they're like, no, it's like, you know, 6802 or whatever it was, which was the room I was in. They're like, no, that's, you were in the right room. I was like, oh my God. And I walked back in and I just like <sighs> broke down at that point. And then when he passed, it's like, oh shit. It was the first time, and I'm not a, you know, a religious guy or things like that, but it was like the first time in my life where you see like, oh shit, this isn't even him. This is like a shell. This is a, yeah. this is, it was something totally different. So when you say that your father, like you walk in, you're like, nah, this isn't him. It's, yeah. re- I can't articulate that, that more clear. It's really not. Yeah. The, the the soul is not the 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 essence isn't there. You Your know, soul's like left the body. Yeah, which makes or me think like kind of what or leaving. Yeah, yeah. I was. Yeah. It, it was like you know, it was something where, you know, I knew that the next couple of days. So I went to Miami. That's when I went to Miami. I saw it happen. I then go to the wake, and I remember vividly. I was playing around during the whole wake, because I I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't go in there. Yeah. Just, you had to like escape. I was just outside like, and yeah. you know, years later I'm like, holy shit, I was just blocking it out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And what happened between 14 and 18 for me, I know that was probably some of my wildest years. Really? You know, so then in high school, the crew of my friends that I grew up around were, you know, was a really tough crew. And they were into and we were into really bad stuff. So we would do a lot of stupid shit, you know, to get in trouble. Um, I wasn't going to school. Mm. I was doing drugs. I was drinking every day. Really? I was just wild. 14 to 18. Oh, yeah, yeah. 14 to 18. I did drugs. I did, I smoked weed. I drank. I did acid. Like... (sighs) whatever yeah at that time it's was fun yeah like i'm just a kid i'm high i'm drinking 40s you know we're listening to snoop we're listening to dr dre we're listening to wu-tang we're listening to mob deep everything's about you know pass me the henny yeah so my life my culture my music every that was cool yeah you know it was about everything wu-tang was smoking weed everything mob deep was drinking henny yeah so I didn't know how bad it was. Yeah. And I didn't, God bless my mom. She would be super positive with me, but she couldn't control me. And the streets were like, raise me. So at that time, because I didn't have a father figure at home. Yeah. So my mom was teaching me, hey, be kind, be sweet, be careful, be nice. The streets were like, do this, do that, get, by get it. By any means. By any means necessary. The music was telling me, yeah. yo, do whatever it takes to, to get to what you want. Straight up. And, you know, this is a time where Puffy's out. 
Jay is out. Everything's about the streets. You know, growing up in Queens, there was crack dealerships and cocaine dealerships. And I was amongst all of that. Mm. This is like the crack epidemic in New York. Oh, wow. So it's the Colombians. This is where you get the negative connotation to the Colombians, the Pablo Escobars, all this stuff that you hear. Yeah. In fact, Nas was called Esco yeah. for Escobar. And so there's this kind of like community there where you're like, oh, shit, let me be careful. Um, so for me, growing up during high school, it was very territorial. I was making sure I was hanging out with the bad kids. So out of like, let's say if school was like uh, six months a semester or like six to eight months for a year, yeah. I would probably go to school one and a half months out of that. Really? I would I would just be Wild. in the streets, literally like go go to class, but cut. You know, go try to holler at girls, go go to hooky jams, create hooky jams, What's drink. A hooky jam? A hooky jam is... I love that you asked that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Oh, you don't know what that is? No. Oh, no way. Yeah. Okay, fuck? so when you play hooky, a <clears throat> yeah. uh, hooky is when you don't go to school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So a hooky jam was when you are you get one of your friend's apartments or homes and you create a party. Straight I think you guys call it, like my wife called it ditch, like a Work. ditch party. Yeah. yeah. So Work. a hooky yep. jam is like you just get all your friends... You try I to like ho- hooky jam better though. If I, was, yeah. if I was ever gonna ditch and go to a ditch party, it better be a hooky jam, though. You dig? And you know, back then, this is what a hooky jam would play. So I'm just gonna show Holler you. Holler at us, bro. Set the tone yeah. up. Give us that music, yeah. bro. Yeah, all right. Let's go. It's all vibes. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve about to take <laughs> you to a hooky jam. Get ready. Buckle your seatbelts. You're about to dive in. You know what I mean? Grab your 40. Uh, uh, I'm not about to freestyle. <laughs> uh. So we were like, reggae out. So it was like red light, St. Nights 40s, because they were 99 cents. We would drink something called Cisco, which was like this crazy drink that we would mix with the with the St. Ides. You know, anything that the girls we think would like. So it was like we got the 40s, we got the reggae, we got the red light, hooky jam. And it was my job to like coordinate. So I would be walking around the halls seeing which girls were down. Like, are you down, you down? <laughs> and they had beepers. So we would beep them. We would beep them and be like, yo, meet us over here. We're going to meet at this corner. We would try to ask like an old <coughs> homeless man or something. We would give him like five bucks and be like, yo, go buy us alcohol. Wild. And the homeless guy would be like, fuck it. I'll take the <laughs> yo, five bucks. Yeah. And we would go and we would literally stack up with like 20, because with $20, we can buy 20 22s. So a 22 ounce St. Ides, Wild. we would buy 20 of them for $20. <laughs> So you were lit. Yeah, you were like done. 20 St. Yeah, Ides. You're yeah. fucking lit. <laughs> you're done, yeah, yeah. You're like done. 20 bucks. That's it. Lit. That was the budget. <laughs> that was the high school budget. And so my, one of my, my good friends, his older brother was a DJ. So he had his turntable set up. Mm. So we would go. He's had his turntable set up. He's got the speakers. His parents would be working. We'd be bringing girls. But it wasn't like a big party because all of us were trying to get with the girls. Yeah. Uh So it was like, yo, who do you got? Who do you got? Who do you got? All right, cool. 
maybe she's got a friend. He doesn't got nobody. So it was like a five on five, six on six, Respect. seven on seven, because everybody's trying to get busy. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Straight up. So it, that was my life. It was I was looking fly. I was playing basketball for the school. I was then going and trying to create these hooky gyms. Yeah. And then at night, I would be going to clubs. That young. 14, 15, I was already in the clubs. So back then, the clubs were ill. Yeah. Right? Because this is now Wu-Tang, Nas, Jay, Farside, Das Effects, J-Ru the Damager. How did you get the access? What happened was that back then, you can pay your way in. So, yeah. you know, if, if you knew how to get in the clubs, you would be able to like pay the bouncer or have somebody who's a little bit older than you hit the bouncer off and be like, here's 50 bucks, here's 100 bucks, I'm going to get you in. Yeah. And the clubs where everyone was in low. So it's like all these low heads would go in and you'd be a club full of a hundred different people, wow. hundreds of kids all wearing polo, all wearing, th- like we're high school kids wearing thousands of dollars of polo. Oh my God. And we would go take the train, go in the underground, underneath the train tracks, writing graffiti, bombing, which they call bombing. Yeah. So we would bomb our way, claim it. So like we're like bombing, catching tags, making sure that we're not catching beef with other rival crews or other graffiti guys. Yeah. Take the train, smoke. And back then I was already like a hustler. So I was already like, okay, cool. I'm going to take the train to Brooklyn. I'm going to buy a Nick, which is a $5 bag of weed. Yeah. But it was huge in Brooklyn. It was massive. It was fucking yeah. the, probably the worst weed ever. Yeah. <laughs> it had crazy sticks and stems. I would buy that, but it was fucking like this big. It was yeah. crazy. And I would smoke a blunt and then sell it for a dime. Wow. So I'll buy a Nick, have a blunt, and then double it. Yeah. <laughs> nice. You were on. I was on. And yeah. I would probably, with $25, I would buy like five of them. So I'm the man. I'm in the club. I got five blunts. You I just made 50 bucks. Yeah. I'm good for the next week. Straight up. And it was like to my friends. Straight up. You know, and it was just like, this is the way you do it. It's like, yo, I'm going to I'm gonna figure out how I'm going to be able to smoke. Yeah. That was my only intention. It was yeah. like, I just wanted to smoke weed. Yeah. yeah. And I would go out and dance. So the big part, like why I play the reggae music it was because you would play like Super Cat, Get a Red Hot, or Shabba Rank. Basically, my life was Shabba. So wow. when Shanji does the Shabba clubs here wow. with Billy Walsh, that was my life. Oh, that's lit. That is like the 1992, yep. early 90s yep. reggae club bangers. And that was the scene back then, which is just an incredible, incredible moment in New York City where you would have shootouts at the club really 50 to 60 people deep you know it was dangerous because your manager is like all these crews of kids wearing two to three thousand dollar items and you could get robbed <clears throat> because either you got beef for graffiti Wild. because you got beef because you got two to three thousand dollars worth of clothes on so you can get robbed yeah and now you got crews from les you got crews from the bronx crews from brooklyn there's freestyle there's lyricist lounge so there's all it's this bold, shit happening yeah. And then you got Jay and Puffy in the club. Biggie just dropped. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Movie. 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 
movie. Yeah, bro. man. So we're we're gonna get into this, and you're gonna see like where where college happens after this. Take so us there. Take dog. a quick break. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, we just got back from a hooky jam. Steve took us to it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It was actually, we found out from one of the ladies that was selling fucking polos. She like beeped you. Hill. She beeped Steve. You know what I mean? Lisa Pager. Shit, let's go. <laughs> Joe just gave me the Funkadelic. Are we back on? Whoop. Shoulder shimmy. And Whoop. then he paused it. And now we here. Welcome back. What it do, though? You know, so we're we're back. We're we're back. So we're we're back. In, it's it's in high school. Take me there, dog. Biggie drop, <laughs> and now all of a sudden, I start to get a little bit older. One of my friend's cousins named Shan. His cousin is Nori. So Nori grew up in. I used to play basketball with him when I was younger. Wild. So we played basketball in the Lost Battalion, which is so about like. Two miles away from where I grew up was Left Rack Projects. <sighs> Left Rack, which they call Iraq back then. So it was Capone and Noriega. And I played basketball when I, when I was younger. And then while I was growing up into high school, then all of a sudden, Nori got locked up. That's where he met Capone. Wow. When he came out of jail, my cousin's like, yo, Capone. you know N-O-R-E. Nori comes out. And then... This is what comes out. Take us there, Steve. Ah. This is history. Steve is literally setting the score for his own story right now. Let's go. N-O-R-E. So no, it's on. All right. So now you got, you, you know, back then I played basketball. So I played with some of the guys from Queensbridge, which were the twins, which were a, a part of like when you hear some of the mob deep or you hear Nas's background, he'll, he'll say like twin. Twin were two kids. There were twins that played basketball. So I played basketball with the twins. Wild. And then I played basketball with Nori. And when Nori came back from jail, he remembered me as younger playing basketball with him. And at that time, this is now how Sneaker Steve starts. Oh, so shit. So I am shopping. So now you see me. I'm in the mall. Yeah. I'm, I'm going actually not even shopping so much in the mall. I'm shopping in Manhattan. Oh, you wow. So I'm buying North Faces. I'm buying Averex. I'm buying Polo. I'm not really like a Queens fashion kid. I'm more a Manhattan fashion kid. I feel you. you were the because I was going to the clubs at an early age. Yeah. So I was already up ahead of stuff. And... This sneaker store opened up in 94 in front of my neighborhood, two blocks away from my house. And it was, uh, he was a Lebanese Italian man. Wow. So he opened the store and w- one day he calls me and he's like, look, Steve, I need you to work for me because I got your phone number. You're a great customer. But my worker bailed on me. And what I did is I told him, I said, look, don't pay me. Just give me a pair of sneakers because my only goal in life at that moment was like, I'm going to wear a brand new pair of sneakers in homeroom every Monday. Wow. Fresh. Like <laughs> so that you, was goals. So fa- fashion just stepped up another level. Oh, I got a another brand new one. pair. Another one. Exactly. <laughs> Those, that was what was my most important goal is that so I work Saturday and Sunday for no pay. And I got a pair of ACGs or Nikes oh, or Air Maxes. And remember... This is when the Air Max 95 came out. 
So I got oh. the gray and green Air Max 95 the first time it came out to the world. Oh, The wow. Air Max 95, Oof. right? And from I, the first time when you had air ever. on your fucking feet, now you got to jump off Johnny's. And I'm in high school and I'm working at the sneaker store. At the same time, my friends who are a little bit older than me had a brand called Gauzy that they had already been doing. With mm. a, so they were already doing kind of graffiti style t-shirts <coughs> but on tees. Mm. So it was kind of like graffiti t-shirts. This is a time around Mark Echo was coming out. Got it. FUBU, Carl Kanai. Uh, dog, the history that you came up in. Mecca, so. yeah. Inichi. Yeah. This is before the Rock Wars, before the Sean yeah. Johns. Yeah. This is kind of like the origins of it. And it was really P&B. was Triple Five Soul wow. was a big brand that was yeah. there. And now all of a sudden, the sneaker store starts to develop I then later become the buyer of the store. So I come from the guy, the part-time guy. I now start coming Monday, Tuesday. So right after high school, around three or four, I would go to the Tell to us the store. how that happened. Like, cause like that, from going from like Steve that was literally drinking every day, smoking weed, all that, and then going to like sneaker fly on the weekends. You had an opportunity. You wanted to be fly. You got it. You laced it down every Monday. You floss it. Right. Well, well for me, it was like more a, like, it was like, I need to work. I need to be fly. So my goal is still fly. Like So yeah. I'm like, I'm helping my mom clean these uh, barbershops or yeah. hair salons. I'm working at the supermarket. I got a part-time job. I've always had like two or three jobs because uh. I had to help my mom with the rent mm -hmm. since I'm like 14, 15. I've been paying my mom's rent in New York since I'm 14 years old. That's incredible. So that's something that was just instilled in me. So I'm like, yo, look, mom, you're good. I'm going to take care of you. Like I'm going to pay. And any other money I had was just about me. I yeah. just wanted to floss. Yeah. So the store started to do good. And so I'm still hanging out. I'm, I'm smoking weed. I'm drunk. But I'm still a businessman. I'm like an entrepreneur. And very quickly, he saw that I can sell. Got it. And by that time, remember, there's all these Colombian drug dealers that got all this fucking cash that also want to be fly. Yeah. So they would be like, yo, Steve, and I was Colombian, so I could be like, you know, you're going to buy these Air Maxes, you're going to buy this Nike sweatsuit. Oh, you were the plug. Oh. The, and they were like, cash, 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 just dropping it. Oh. Let me get those Air Maxes, let me get those. They would buy like 10 shoes. Oh, that's lit. No shoe boxes. Yeah. So the, the, the owner of the store was like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. This kid could fucking sell. Yeah. And little by little, I was like, you know, let me see that Nike catalog. And I'm like, oh, shit, that's the Air Max 95. Wow, those are amazing. Let's order. And little by little, his official worker was a little older than me. He was the buyer. But he started to see that whatever I started to buy for the store. It was just gave, flying. It was flying. So he was like. You were in touch with the culture. Yeah. You weren't just a body. Exactly. I was living it. Yeah. Because I was going to Manhattan. I was going to the clubs. I knew fashion. I had a T-shirt brand that I was selling there. And at that time, my mom would help me. So my mom's house would literally, her and her friend would be there helping me sew labels on shirts wow. while they were ironing them on. And we would sell them to the store there. The okay. brand was called Gauzy. Yeah. And we would sell it at that store plus stores in Manhattan. So we were already working. So I had a brand, wow. worked at a supermarket, worked at the sneaker store, two jobs plus my own company. Plus high school. Oh, that's insane. Damn. What? This is, I'm like 15 years old, 16 years old. 
And and through that, so you could see why high school wasn't priority for me. Yeah. yeah. Like my life was the club you were living. the store, the job. And now all of a sudden I'm like, okay, Nori starts to shop at the store. He signs his <coughs> record deal. Nori's pulling up to the store with a Lex coupe. <laughs> He's got the money. He's new track introduces the Neptunes to the world. <laughs> Like, literally introduces the Neptunes to the world. Fucking history, dog. Right? He's now rapping with Big Pun. <sighs> N-O-R-E album goes platinum. And he spits my name on a track. <sighs> so he goes in one track. He was like, I don't care about your whores, your hood, or your weed. Fuck your weak-ass stores. I'm going to go see Steve. Yo. That's a fucking moment. Uh, yeah. So Yo, what was that like though? So my man SPK, who still produces a lot of Nori stuff, yeah, hits me up and he was like, Yo, NO just drop your name. <laughs> we were in the studio. He just dropped your name on a track. I mean, you couldn't you couldn't tell me nothing. Like, I'm on the fucking <laughs> Yo, I'm like hood uh, celebrity, you know? I feel you. <clears throat> That's fucking wild. And that was the time during the Skyway, like two way pagers. So, special, special time. Yeah, we know, we know for sure you were up on that court. Oh, had, I had wait, they touched down in the city. Yeah. <laughs> so I was already kind of like that was kind of like our DM social media side where I would hit the messages. I, I would hit my boy Camillo from Hot ninety seven, who was the vice president of Heavy Hitters, one of the biggest DJ crews in the yeah. world. So I was hitting him up. Like, yo, Camilla, come through. Yo, Nori, come through. Yo, bring, oh, I'm bringing people from Columbia Records to the store. Yo, all of a sudden, my friend Will Millions was doing music with Clark Kent, the notorious wow. DJ Clark Kent, you know, oh. the guy who founded Biggie and yo, Jay. Yo, like, wow. So Clark is hitting me up. He's like, holy shit, Steve, how the fuck you got these Air Forces from London, from JD Sports? Because let me just break it to you. Break it to me, dog. This is before the internet. I for love that. real, for real. There's no internet. So you can't Google. Wow. You can't search. Yeah. You can't search online. So you literally had to be the connect. I was the connect. Wow. So you had to know Sneaker Steve. And I had the Nike catalogs early. So I would tell people like, yo, reserve them. I got these many dropping. You want the Jordans. You want this. And an interesting thing happened during that time is that while I was in high school and starting to get into college because I was going to city I started to go to skateboard shops and say like wow I like skateboarding sneakers which mm. was completely unheard of at the time in New York really? City yeah. there was no there was there, there was not what we wear now like we wear vans but we're part of like urban yeah. culture right, right, right. Yeah. that doesn't exist right, right, right. that was something that's been created something brand new this is before Lupe Fiasco this is before sure. all of yeah. this so this was literally like if you were urban, you wore urban shit. Yeah. That's it. What was it about the sneaker, like the, the skate sneakers that caught your eye? Well, what happened is that because I already had a clothing brand, I was flying to Los Angeles. So my <laughs> friends designed for a company called Force. They later started a company called Creative Recreation oh, that wow. went to millions and wow. millions of dollars. Oh, subtle drop, you know what I mean? Wow. And you may or may not know that brand. Yeah, I mean, I mean. <laughs> so my store 
was the first store in New York to carry creative recreation. Wow. And they were my family. That was my West Coast family. And That's I grew insane, up bro. with my friends here that was like Mikael and Hughie, which later started all the customization. So the custom Air Force Ones that were selling at Fred Siegel, mm-hmm. they were the ones creating that out here. That's so wild. And their clique was like Emil and Dennis, who had a company called Landscape, which later you might know the company called Crooks and Castles. Straight up. <laughs> so I was bringing in Landscape creative recreation wow, you were the like you literally were was, the plug of the culture i brought west coast fashion to the east coast and that was later documented in articles in magazines wow. in, let me ask you this being that music played like a really like big part in your life in that era new york was popping Right. New York was off the fucking chain. There was nothing else. Was it was the, New York. Was the West starting to make a play no. on you or no? No, no. It was just you loved the aesthetic? All eyes, all eyes were on New York. Like my really Cali friends were obsessed with New York. I feel you. You know, this is the, this is the time. That was a golden time, dog. Oh, it's a golden era. Like you can't, that was the was, history uh, of, of hip hop. Yeah. yeah. What, what year was that? You said. Like, you know, you're looking at like now 92, 94, 96. Yeah. Yeah. See, because we had West Coast hip hop just coming out of the rise. 98. Yeah, yeah, a little later. So, yeah, New, New York was still. Uh, still. That, that was it. Yeah, you that, know, New York was on. Dog. You know, when you look at like that to like the early 2000s or like even 96 to 98. All of that was was here, you know. Yeah. Outside, of course, of Snoop and Dre, which, right, 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 which was definitely very, very. Uh, we felt it on the East Coast. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, like my crew was wild. They were like mostly like Ecuadorians, so we would be in Carhartt drinking Saint Ides because we were influenced by Snoop uh, and Dre. Wow. Because we were different. Yeah. So we were listening to Wu Tang, but we looked probably more like fucking like Mac 10, you know, like West Coast vibes. Yeah, because here on the West Coast, it was, I mean, that West Coast hip hop chronic. I mean, that was that shook L.A. That shook the West Coast for hip hop. It was such a a monumental moment. It like took over. Like, as you're saying, all eyes was on New York. Like if you lived here in L.A. after the riots and you felt the chronic and that whole like thing just like um, just came up. That was that took over LA. Yeah, just one hundred percent. Yeah. So yeah, for, for us it was like, uh, it was big. Like when we heard the Chronic and Snoop Dogg's album, and you know when we heard everything that was coming out, it was huge. It yeah. was for us. It really affected our life. Yeah. In a, in a in a in a in like a monumental way, and we had more options though. Mm. So it was like I'm gonna listen to Snoop. I love it, but there's Wu Tang. There's Das Effects. There's Red Man. Yeah. There's Nature. There's Nas. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's J. There's, there's Big. Yeah. There's fucking B.I.G. It's too, too big, yeah. Big L, dog. Oh. oh. You know, he's just on and on. There's J. Ru the Damager. There's like... Guru. Guru. I mean, you know, and for me now, as I look back, so... Yeah, now all of monsters. It's just monsters. Just fucking monsters. When you think about it like that, yeah. when you just go down the list, yeah, I mean, yeah. come on, like, like for you real. know. So it for was, real. it was. We were living it. Yeah, we were living that. Like literally, while it was coming up, and you know, I'll, I'll paint the picture, okay. right? So now the store is starting to pop. I'm getting my local celebrity. 
I'm bigger and have more power in the clubs. I'm starting to become, you know, I'm a junior, senior in high school. This is all still in I, fucking I just, high school, dog. <laughs> saying, like, Get your motherfucking lives right if you're not doing this in high school, dog. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What the fuck? High school. He's like, yeah, and then, you know, we keep moving. Like, it's coming down. I'm like 16, going into 17 and 18. Uh, like, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm a junior. Like, yeah. the straight <laughs> oh, plug. Yeah. You got reference in a classic Joan. In a, <laughs> you got Sneaker Steve came out in a record when he was like 16, 17. Come on, dog. And Get your lives right. <laughs> now, <laughs> now we back. Now we back. That's insane. It's a, it's a movie. It, it, it literally is. And so when I would come to the West Coast, my, my friends, I would see their clothing. And I know I'm like, all right, fuck it. I'm going to help you. I loved it. And I'm going to help you here on the East Coast. I'm going to sell it, distribute it. And you're going to help me. So they helped me sell Gauzy into Fred Siegel. Wow. So at a young age, like early teens, early Damn. going into college, I was already selling at Fred Siegel. You, wow. Which is a massive deal. Insane. I mean, yeah. And that's a humongous stamp. Humongous just, stamp. Just like, not, like, listen, take it out of the perspective of like, oh shit, your brand's on. When you have something you stand in behind and then like something like Fred Siegel at that young age gets behind it, like you have the confidence of like, what? what? Okay, what's next? That's literally like in today's day is like I'm in high school going into college and I sell at Barney's. <laughs> That's the equivalent of what yeah. Fred Siegel was to oh, LA yeah. Oh, yeah. in up. those days. No question. No I mean, it was, yeah. it, was, it was huge. Uh, so, so now we transition, right? So now like high school... Um, I'm, it takes me six years to graduate high school. Is that because you missed so much class? Or? Because I missed so much class. Uh, a flying F. I was living, you know, I was living life, but thinking back, I was making so many mistakes, you know, because I was on drugs. I was, I got arrested more really? than once. What'd you get arrested for? One was for, um, let me even think back. One was really stupid. One was I was going to buy weed and I hopped the train while I had tons of weed on me. Wow. And tons of money on me and I hopped the train. Oh, So I got caught by an undercover detective in a sweep, right? The second time was because I was playing hooky, we're smoking weed on a rooftop and my friend decides to uh, like throw something off a ledge, and all of a sudden it hits some like a, like it hits something, and to my karma, the guy there, what we found out later, was like a crazy drug dealer. So we hit whatever hit hit the wrong person's house. Oh, oh my god! And literally, we had all of us running down. The guy is dragging girls by the hair down staircases. The girls are screaming. I'm screaming. (laughs) My friend who was on parole couldn't stop because if not, he would have got, he would have went to jail for a lot of years. And I knew I'm like, fuck, help me, help me, help me. He's got me by the hair. He's fucking kicking me, kicking me in the face. This is just one dude. This is one dude, right? And he's just grabbing us we're kids you know so he's an old fucking hustler dude he's kicking me in the eye kicking me in the face kicking me in the face bashing me and like literally like if you see this eye versus this eye so he opened up my whole eye here 
This whole Whoa. thing is stitched. So you can see the difference here. Like to this day, this eye versus this eye. Oh, shit. Oh, that's so this oh, eye was open like that. Just bleeding. Completely open to the, the skin. Like it's literally like you can it's, see the white yeah. till here. Oh, shit. And the cops come. I got weed on me. I'm completely bleeding. I go out on a stretcher. I'm arrested on a stretcher. Holy fuck. And I'm taken to the hospital in handcuffs. And they're like, you just got caught for, for jumping the, the turnstile. So you've been arrested twice now. Oh, shit. So they're just like, you're a piece of shit. Wow. Like, and, clearly, and you just got your ass kicked. And you got your ass kicked. Wow. And I get pulled out in a stretcher, handcuffed to the stretcher in front of my whole neighborhood. Oh, my God. Wow. Being dragged by ambulances to the oh hospital. Arrested in a stretcher, in an ambulance. What the fuck? So, my, you know, this is the type of things where I look back and I'm like, I wish I probably had more of like a parent figure to... You know, because at that time, my poor mom, how the fuck is she going to control me? Jesus. I was already so much a part of the streets and I was doing drugs, so I was lost. Mm -hmm. And I wish I had examples of people to say, hey, look, stop doing drugs. Stop what you're fucking doing because you're going to get killed. Wow. Or you're going to do something to somebody and you're going to fucking be put away for life. And it was dangerous out there. It's fucking dangerous. You know, because we're having, you know fights with rival crews and crews are not 10 people it's like 50 to 70 people against 50 to 70 people with guns and knives oh, that's wild. like this shit is crazy it's no fucking joke it's no joke like i'm living in the streets of new york so anything can fucking happen and nobody's gonna survive sedated in a jungle dog so i wish somebody would have told me back then like yo steve stop doing drugs do this. This is what you could do. Yeah. Of course, my mom is always going to tell me like, "Don't yeah. do that. Don't do that." Yeah. But I was at that age. Needed, I'm, I'm not listening. No, you needed like a bigger influence. Yeah. yeah, you know, especially with no pops and the things. You need like a, a OG homie or like a big brother to be like, "Look, dog, you're here. Do something different." Yeah. Like so you, you got all that. Imagine if you're not doing this shit. But let me ask you this: with, with the crew being involved, right? Was yeah. there like an allegiance thing with the crew? Because like you think in what of, sense you think of like gangs now yeah it's blood in blood out maybe even not that serious but it's like it's squad you may like I was talking with a homie of mine a, a musician and and he was talking about like he's a cat that like you look at you wouldn't think it has like super blood ties mm. and and like lives the street life more than a lot of these cats claiming to be mm. right but like he's pimped. He's done all these things. And the wildest shit from hearing him talk to me, even though he made his choice to step in, right, is that he was telling me his older OG homies, like the OGs, right, were like, bruh, you have incredible talent doing this music shit. Stay out of that. Mm. Like, you down with us, cool, but, like, you don't need to get up in that. And then the YGs, who are way more reckless and want to just, like, spout off and prove their egos have worked, right, or like, blah, 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 blah. we doing this, we doing that, why aren't you doing that? And then he made the decision to go in. Now he's still doing music, still has ties to the streets, right? But you hear somebody discuss that, and it's like, it becomes a thing where you know that there's more. You also respect the allegiance to it. Yeah. But you're also tied in. Mm. And it becomes, at, at, that, at that point, and then it just becomes like a, 
was it like I can't break off from this because I'd be letting somebody down? Yeah, I can't break off from this because it's like that ain't happening. Yeah, you can't you can't turn back on the crew. Yeah, because the crew protects you. Yeah. So when you're when you're when you're literally like living in the streets, you gotta have protection. Yeah. You know, and and it's really that is like I can't be by myself. I gotta be with the crew who are my friends. Yeah. So if they do something, I gotta do it because I can't pussy out yeah you know and for me it was difficult because i was not tough so i was doing tough stuff Mm. but i wasn't tough yeah and that was difficult for me because now all of a sudden i'm getting a little bit older i've been arrested more than once this shit is real like i can fucking go to jail forever yeah i can get killed i can get shot i can get stabbed you know i'm drinking and blacking out wow and i'm doing bad shit and i'm not going to school and you know i think for the kids that are listening and for the people that are listening that are having kids and stuff or that have nephews or cousins you know i tell my wife all the time i'm like yo look if you know someone if your sister your brother your nephew tell them right now seriously even though if you're gonna look like the old adult yeah you need to tell them right now stop doing that shit yeah like stop fucking around because one bad decision and your life is gone 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 for real real so (sighs) at that time i learned like oh shit this is real and after six years you know funny enough (laughs) i i I was probably like part of like two or three different yearbooks because <laughs> I kept not graduating. Yo. So I'm like, yearbook picture. <laughs> I'm still flying. I got to show I'm, up. I got to show up. I need my picture. <coughs> and, incredible. And after six years of high school, and luckily I stuck through it, I then went to LaGuardia Community College. Were you still doing the store here? Like, yeah. That, you I'm working. I got, I got three jobs. I've always had two or three jobs. You always, you st- always supporting always. moms. Always supported moms, always supported my flyness, and I'm doing stupid shit. Flyness. Yeah. So now I'm a little bit older. Where now, so you're looking at now now 99 to 2000. I'm mm. um, going to LaGuardia. So the what was beautiful about that <coughs> was that now all of a sudden I got to pick my curriculum. So I saw a huge change. Were from, you still drinking and smoking and all that? Definitely. Or? Got it. I was still drinking. I was still smoking. Uh, that was still a big part of my life. I then now, what I saw in in college was that because I got to pick my classes and what I liked, I felt more comfortable and yeah. more engaged. Freedom. And when I did that, you had a choice. Yeah, I had a choice on what I actually went to class and learned about. Mm. And what I learned was that okay, if I'm engaged and the classes were good, it started to like really make me think. The good thing for me is that I was two years older than all the freshmen. Yeah. Because it took me six years to graduate high school. So I was naturally... So you're like 20? A little bit mature. Yeah. I was a little bit more. Maybe I was 18 instead of being like 17 or like I was like 19 instead of 17. Yeah. Yeah. So I got this business. The t-shirt business starts to go higher for Gauzy. Yeah. The store's taking off. So I'm 
I'm actually a businessman. I'm an entrepreneur. You're transitioning. I've already gone to LA and come back. I'm doing the ASR trade shows for the first time. Oh, wild. The store starts it's to pick up. It's crazy that, like, I just have to stop here. It's crazy that you balancing all these. It's like you're right. you see a lot of cats that one of their vices takes over and it's either one or the other. And I think one of the biggest reasons, just like hearing this out right now, because gradually we're going to get to a point where it's like, we're going to get to where it was like, boom, it's done with that, right? But the beauty to me is that you've been balancing this for so long, from fucking like 14 up until like you're now 19, ready to hit 20. <laughs> so six years of juggling this while ascending on the pretty boy, fly boy, playboy, right? While... Have being victim of these streets to the point of like you locked in, but you still making bad decisions that get you caught every now and then. Your mind's a little hazy, right? Which is why you jump the fucking train when you got all this on you. Like the businessman Steve would have been like, "Whoop, here you go. It's hot out here. I'm just gonna yeah. get there, yeah. right?" Or on top of the roof, like, "Bruh, we we don't need to like, yeah, we're not in grade school, right? Yeah, but." You're still, like, through all that, come back. St it, we still haven't gotten to a point where it was like, bruh, it was either this or that. Like, I had to let something go. But now it's like six years of high school done. For a lot of kids nowadays, it'd be like, damn, like, sixth year in high school? Like, fuck, like, shit, who am I? And, right? and, and, and they then, just and then, give up. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. one of the most pivotal things is that you balancing business, like you in the culture, you you dealing with the echelon of, of cats in this community. Your your the reason you didn't graduate high school earlier wasn't because like you were inept or like you weren't able to do it. It's because like your time was just spelled elsewhere, right? But the beauty is like you're juggling substance, right, and your own standard, and it's like a constant battle between where it lies and like. How how did that like transform during your college days? College was the big transformation. Like my life completely changed. Yeah. Um, when I got to choose my own courses, my first year in college, I was a 4.0 student. <laughs> wow. So I went from took me six years to graduate high school. I graduated with a 65.2 average. <laughs> Like you can't get point yeah. two. Yeah, that's the only reason yeah. I'm even here. Yeah. You did it. Yeah. I did it. Yeah, and straight for up. Any high school kids that are listening out there, get your high school diploma. Yeah, get whatever you can because if not, if it wasn't for that, if I didn't get the high school diploma, I would not be here today. Yeah, straight or up. even or even on some trill shit, y'all high school students like mix and match both. Like, do what Steve's mom did, even though she never got the chance to go to school. Like, cats can literally find what they like outside of school by going to a fucking bookstore. Or now we go online, motherfucker can learn anything or explore anything. Like, learning doesn't stop after our high school or our college, yeah. right? And instead of, like, us being like, damn, I hate this shit, like, go explore, especially in this age, like, we have the freedom of information. Like, back then, there was no internet popping like that. No. It was literally your space and your community, right? But now, it's all good if you don't like where you at. But understand that the, the world is at, literally at your fucking fingertips. And just explore. Yeah, and, and, and for me at LaGuardia College, I then... So, this is when my life changes. So, I go 4.0 the first year. <sighs> I then 
next year I'm 4.0 again. So it's a two year school. Yep. Now all of a sudden, I'm five Theta Kappa Honor Society. I'm part of the school play. I'm part of the talent show. I'm <coughs> still dressing crazy fly. I'm at that time working as a bar back and a busboy at the Harley Davidson Cafe wow. in Manhattan. And interestingly enough, one of the, the reasons why I stopped smoking weed, because I was still smoking, was I got fired from my job because I was smoking weed at work. Wow. That's how fucked up my head was, was Ooh. that like I can get high during my bathroom bakes. Yeah. Word. So th- literally I got escorted by security out. <laughs> there was the manager of the Harley Davidson Cafe knocking on the door for 45 minutes. I'm there fucking petrified inside because the shit smells like a fucking ton of weed. Yeah. Oh, no. And I get dumped on 6th Avenue, fired by security. Oh, out. Wild. And that was really like a wake-up call. So I'm like, look, I, I'm I'm now on the street, literally, which is interesting. I don't know if you guys have been to New York where they have the halal trucks, mm-hmm. the famous halal guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally that corner, <laughs> on that one, and I'm just fucking like covered in like coleslaw and french fries. <laughs> and I'm like, I just <laughs> been thrown on the street. Literally like, thrown wow. Literally thrown on the street. Like, who the fuck am I? Wow. Like, you know what I mean? Like, why the fuck am I such a piece of shit? You know, mm. like, come on. Like, you can't even hold your job. You can't, you have to smoke weed. Like, and, uh. I, and I thought to myself, and it was a really down period in my life that, you know, you know, when you go through that, I had to say to like, I had to really think about like what I wanted in life. Yeah. And I think after like a year or two of that, I stopped. Word. I stopped the drinking. I stopped the smoking so much. What made you stay, because you were a kid that was like never present in school, outside of choosing your classes, what made you stay in the school more? Because you were honor society, you were a part of the like drama jump off, you don't play, like you were way more immersed in what's known as your college. What made you like take that? Was it just, was it merely having the right mindset and also having classes that were engaging you? Or was it like a deliberate decision of... We're here now. Wow, I'm at a gateway point and I'm going to take advantage of like what was No, it's 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 clear. It's word. where the, you got the attention. So in college, <sighs> you get the attention for being smart. Uh, the girls when you have a good answer in class, the girls look at you like, "Oh, okay." I feel Yeah, you. he's smart. Oh, sh- that's hilarious. <laughs> so it comes into play here. It comes into play. So like all of a sudden like being smart is cool <sighs> in college. Being stupid is not. Yeah. Being a prankster, a jokester is not. You're damn right. So if you're fly, you got street smarts and you're smart. <laughs> you on. So you're on. Yeah. And I became a uh, part of the public relations. So I was the public relations governor of the college. Yeah, uh, I taught uh, ESL students, which is English as second language career development, <coughs> helping people find their careers. I was Yo. a peer leader. And I was part of the New York Mock Senate program. Oh, wow. So for me... The mock Senate program? Yeah. What? What? <laughs> so my, one, of my, one, of, one of the people that I had a tutor at that time was actually a senator of the Bronx. Oh, wow. And I would go to classes and then later went to Albany to, to office. So I would then be part of like legislature. And we actually, we went on the state floor in Albany 
to pass law during this mock Senate program. That's insane. Through that, I got privy to a special program called the Exploring Transfer Program, where they took a group of kids, which it was the brightest students in New York City, to go to Vassar College, which at that time was part of the Seven Sisters College. So Brown, you know, when you look at Yale, Brown, a lot of these colleges, <coughs> the men in the 1900s early went to like Yale, Harvard, etc. And the females went to the Seven Sisters, mm, wow. Vassar, and some of these other colleges. In the 70s, they became co-ed. Oh, so oh, I was then... A, part of the exploring transfer program at Vassar, which would had billions of dollars in endowment. So I was literally in a utopia for education. Oh, wow. Where we would have a class, instead of having 30 kids in the class, it would be 15. Mm-hmm. And instead of one professor to 30, we would have two professors to 15. Wow, that's intimacy on another level in so academia, dog. You you now would have to study and finish a book every single day. So literally, you go to class, you read the book at night, the whole book, and have to do a six-page report by morning. That's demanding. So they put us in a, a, what I call is like a lab rat study of like, if I put these kids who are the brightest in a utopia of education, give them everything, give them double the professors, give them the lab, what can they do? So when I graduated Vassar, you I was already fully a, taken, a super mind. You had fully taken ownership of the Vassar opportunity, though. Oh my God. Like I mean, you got I, I was I was studying. There was one room in our library which was fully lined of gold. So I'm now going to school where the Kennedy's kids went to school. Wild. So imagine me from high school Steve. Yeah. Growing up, coleslaw and French fries, coleslaw and French fries thrown on the corner of fifth and sixth. To now, I'm studying in Vassar College. Wild. So I come back. How was that for your mom, though? Let's think of like, uh, yo, like that had to be like, I, (laughs) definitely, I just meal. Like just her being, and, and, you know, the beautiful part about this and why my mom is so special is that all through this, She's in high school while I'm getting arrested, you know, being with my mom, seeing like a rival crew gangster kid at the hospital while I'm crying, tearing with my whole stitches. So the doctor's like seeing me completely bloodied up, my eye completely open. There's a rival crew, gangster crew there at the hospital. I'm in handcuffs. I'm crying and my mom is there, but I'm scared because there's another rival crew kid right there. Wild. So imagine that Wild. to like now I'm at Vassar studying where kids, the Kennedy kids went to school. This is two years. So that's no. why I say like that's, that's kids huge transformation. get the high school diploma, yeah. stay in school, stay on track. Because if you don't, you're, you're jeopardizing yourself of the opportunities that you can have. Straight up. So I come back to LaGuardia. I'm the fucking man. I'm coming back from Poughkeepsie. I then get nominated as the valedictorian of LaGuardia. Wow. I give my speech in Madison Square Garden in front of 5,000 people. Wild. There's people crying, like in tears. I tell my story 
to Mad- in Madison Square Garden. Yo, <laughs> what the fuck? Madison Square Garden, dog. I'm just clipping the mic. I don't give a fuck. This is <laughs> I want to hear a whole crowd get wild, bro. Oh, bro. It's... Yo, again, I want to know, like, where was your mom's and all this? I want to bring mama into this picture. My mom. Fucking Madison Square My mom Garden. is like, we're calling Tia, which is uh, in Spanish. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're calling the Tia. She's flying in from Miami. She's like, holy shit. So proud. I'm five Tata Kappa. I got like heads of state of New York City up there. Wow. The whole crowd is cheering for me. I'm now. How are you feeling? Yeah. Uh, I'm feeling like I know I'm special. That's how I'm feeling. You believe it now. I believe it. At the time while I was at Harley Davidson Cafe, one of the waiters worked for Columbia Records. So while I was an intern at, at, at LaGuardia, I worked for Columbia Records. So this is during Bow Wow, Destiny's Child, So Wild. So Deaf, oh, wow. the Fuji album. Oh, Why? I was part of the release of the Fuji album. He worked for the president. So he was the he was in one of the assistants for the president of Columbia Records. Yeah. I he then became an AR. He was an AR to Praz. So I'm at Sony Studios. I go to the Columbia Records music holiday party it's beyonce bow wow's performing i'm dancing back to back with jay-z <laughs> jay-z oh comes in God. with with a silk Yo. i'm like holy <laughs> shit Wild. i'm in 550 madison waking up so now imagine where my head is at giving this valedictorian speech in new york Yo. in madison square garden my community I get picked up in a white limo because oh the girl, <laughs> the girl that, the girl that liked me in college, her parents owned a limousine company. Oh my. So I go to the hood. I'm like, "Yo, Ralph, come through." There's girls coming in from Brooklyn, picking me up in a white limo. My hood is like, my block is like. <laughs> Holy shit! Like you, you went, you went from being in the stretcher handcuff <laughs> to the white limo. And, and now I come back to college we graduate I write a letter to NYU and I couldn't afford a computer at the time so I didn't have one so I go to the school lab I would go swimming go play basketball and, and it took me to like midnight that night and I just poured my heart out I told my story and I'm like look this is who I am this is what I've lived through this is my life and I get accepted to NYU. So now I'm going to my dream school, NYU. I'm in the village. I'm in Soho. Is this for the master's program? This or? is now for undergrad. Oh, so for undergrad. LaGuardia was a two-year. Two year. I then go for, for my four-year degree. So I'm going for my bachelor's degree. Got it. I'm on scholarship. I'm going to NYU. I'm now studying in a school where I have kids from all around the world there that are trying to get into this program. It's probably one of the most elite programs to get into in the city, even around the world. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no and question. because I already had a clothing line, because I already was part of the sneaker yeah. store, I was allowed to skip all prerequisites and take classes at Stern School of Business for entrepreneurship. Oh, wow. So yeah. now I'm walking into Stern. The NASDAQ is rolling while I'm 20 <laughs> years old. So I'm literally seeing the stock exchange going Yo. through at Stern. 
I'm taking entrepreneurship classes with dot-com millionaires. So I'm sitting next to millionaires now. There's 19 and 20-year-old millionaires. 19 to 20-year-old millionaires. Millionaires that had just started their own companies. Dot-com booming, bro. Dot-com is booming. It's the beginning of it. And I'm at Stern at the Entrepreneurship Society. Wow. And I'm breaking down shit to the kids in class that I know more because I know about profit and loss. I know about building a brand. I know about having a company. Yeah. And Gauzy's starting to blow up. We're selling to more stores. And I'm now more part of the city life in Manhattan. I'm buying more skateboard shoes. I'm bringing skateboard shoes to my store. And I start to sell DC shoes at my store. Wow. I'm selling DC shoes to Nori. I'm selling technical outerwear jackets like North Face, Spider, Vast, Dolomite, Gravis, Lakai, ES, Vans. This is unheard of in the hood. Oh, wild. And it's funny, we talked about kids earlier. So my friends were in kids. Mm. And wow. My superintendent's best friend was Gio. He ran Supreme New York, the store on Lafayette and Houston. Uh, so I was around skateboarding royalty. Yeah. And they were <coughs> they were part of another crew which wrote graffiti and also skateboarded. So my creative director and founder of Gauzy was a graffiti guy who then knew the guys from UXA. UXA was Peter Hahn and Peter BC. Peter BC is one of the characters also in Kids. Mm. So you see like Harold Hunter and Peter BC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The Supreme guys were there. So my store was already popping. I was selling skateboarding goods. And at that time, only Supreme and DQM sold Nike SB. Wow. And I, at that time, back then, would tell the Nike guys, like, yo, skateboarding, skateboarding. They would be like, yo, Steve, you're bugging. You're like some Spanish dude. Because most of them were black that were running basketball programs. This is the, this is the Nike Air Force. Oh, yeah. 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 Thriving. Prime time era. And most of the guys were looking at me like a Spanish guy, like, oh, you don't know. You're Latino. You don't know. <laughs> right, right, right. You don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Years later, I won't mention names, but they were asking me for a job. I yeah. feel you. Straight up. Straight up. So I saw that trend first. I brought skateboarding to the hood. Yeah. And we were selling so many DC shoes that people thought I was backdooring selling the shoes wholesale to other stores. Oh, wow. And when the DC shoes reps came, they came to my store to close me down the account because they thought I was like a black market account. So they would come into the store and be like, look, Steve, I was like, look, just come to the shop. They came to the shop. They saw me selling so many DCs that they were like, who the fuck yeah, are you? This is real. Like, what? Is why real. are you doing this? Yeah. So imagine, <laughs> I, you got to think about it. This is like somebody in the middle of nowhere selling all this clothing and shoes and in skateboarding stuff in the hood. They're not putting from West Coast in the hood together like that. Yeah. That doesn't exist. No. Right? And now all of a sudden I got the Nike SB account because my friends were skateboarding royalty. Yeah. And they're like, holy shit. So now you got the Heineken dunk dropping. You got the De La Soul dunk dropping. Yo. The first time these kids are coming. So my store becomes a destination oh. in Queens. Now we get that craze. Store, like, oh, the store is now doing millions. Like, I'm now becoming closer to a partner of the store. Oh, wow. I'm learning how to speak Arabic because he's Lebanese, but he speaks Arabic and he's Italian. You're low-key his son at this point. Totally. Though. 
So he becomes like a father figure to me. Oh, wow. I start to invest a little bit into the store. I then now become kind of like a small partner. Yeah. I got like a rev share deal. I'm making yeah. a lot of money and the store blows up. So now I'm in magazines. My clothing brand is in Bloomingdale's. My clothing brand is in is Fred Siegel. Gauzy. Gauzy's killing it. You at Stern School of Business. I'm at Stern School of Business. Like, what? And, and I graduate and I asked one of my friends at Stern School of Business to help me put a business plan and I signed my first million dollar deal. Bang! Mama! Mama! Woo! Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to tell you how that goes. And we're back. Don't worry if Steve writes rhymes. He writes checks. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> he just got a million to write them with. What's good? Let's talk about this. I mean, that, that, that's really it, man. I was writing checks. <laughs> so now I get a showroom in Times Square on 42nd Street. Wild. Bang. Right. I'm in my 20s. Are these your wildest dreams coming to fruition yeah. right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is me like... The pinnacle right now. This is me living my dreams. And remember, during that time, this is when Sean John, this is when Vocal, wow. this is Rockaware. <sighs> companies are going to like three, four, five hundred million dollars. Hundred M's. And this is the boom this is this is where I'm like now I'm have the confidence to be like look I'm gonna do it we need money we need money to grow I'm hiring heads of Sean John I'm like yo leave Sean John come to my company I got the office the corner office on 42nd street in time motherfucking square wow I'm in my 20s yo like yeah. holler at me yeah. you know what I'm saying and you know that was just a dream come true. You know, my, my partners worked so hard to get there. Um, we grew the company at that time. We were probably had the company for like eight to 10 years at the time as an independent. Wow. We get the budgets. Now we're designing, you know, some of my friends who designed, one of my jean designers is now like the head of Jordan. So we had just genius creatives. My crew, all of the ones that, that started Gauzy were just incredible designers in the community. Wild. Um, at that time, we were doing trade shows called like To Be Confirmed, which were these trade shows that were like project show of today or a liberty show of then. They had different names back then. Word. And this is around the time where Kanye had moved to New York. So now Nas is wearing gauzy in double XL. Wow. While he's beefing when Ether drops with, with Jay. Yo, Carl Thomas album drops. So on 42nd Street, on 41st, where the bad boy offices where, where Diddy would be at. Yeah. My friend Carla, when she was working, she was Harv Pierre's assistant. So wow. we would then send. So the Carl Thomas album would come under bad boy. The vans that were wrapped and you come from the music industry was all the, the va you know, all the vans were wrapped. Wow. So you would literally that go. That was when street teams was like pop. Oh, street teams were everything. Yeah. So we would go and we would see literally Carl Thomas album cover. To this day, he's wearing gauzy on the album. Wild. So now there's cars, vans with Carl Thomas on it wearing gauzy. Dave Chappelle's wearing gauzy. I get introduced to Kanye. <laughs> Carla's like, yo, there's this producer from Chicago. We're in the studio with him. Yo, he's fucking dope. Because that's how she sounds. He's like, yeah. dope. Dope. <laughs> dope. dope. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, cool. Bring him through. Like, whatever. And she's like, yo, he loves fashion. 
She introduces me to Kanye. I then connect them, introduce them to the guys that created Recreation. I introduce them to some of the guys at Adidas. And we build this community, Don C. I become really good friends with Don C at that time. And he's like, yo, we got this new artist that's about to drop. His name is John Legend. But he doesn't know how to dress. So, yo. like, let's help him out. Wild. Like, his style. Because, you know, John Legend's classic, you know? So, yeah. we put him in part of his first, like, listening sessions was wearing gauzy. Yo. So, now we're in the first Complex magazine because it's the beginning of Complex. Yo. Was this, this is like what 2001? Something yeah, like that? yeah, exactly. I remember that. I was actually living in New York during that time. Okay, that's yeah. wild. <laughs> that's the, I, I remember that New York era very well. And so Steve was just blapping on the culture, and you were over there just thugging. Uh, uh, yeah, thugging. yeah. And you know, at this time, so now the store's going. I got the office in Times Square. We have a design studio in the Meatpacking District on 14th and 9th, which is now the Apple Store. Oh, this yeah. is before Sex in the City. Yeah, yeah. We literally like are living it. And what happened was that I'm making a lot of money, um, unhealthy. I got three jobs. I got two two ways. And I'm like, at that point, probably hit my high of like 250 pounds. Oh, my wow. God, dude. So this is, this is when you become the chicken nugget. Yeah. Well, I keep becoming a chicken nugget as a kid. I was like a chicken nugget. No, he was, he, he was chicken parmesan. At was, he was a little upper echelon, though. If any of my friends know me, they know I love some chicken parmesan. And I was just unhealthy. I was so unhealthy. I was eating like crazy. I was... Really, just hustling, hustling, hustling. Well, you, let hustling. me ask you this: like, you—it's crazy to hear that, right? Because, like, when we think about it now, it's like mind, body, soul—that's happiness. Yeah. When we're younger, we kind of like forego the body for the and totally. the soul, really, like for yeah. like the mind and getting it active. Yeah. You'd reach like a real, I guess, like you'd reach the pinnacle in your young life where you're literally plugged up into the culture. The brand that y'all been cultivating for years upon years got funding. You, you're 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 literally at the echelon of everywhere you want to be, and, and you're unhealthy. Are you happy at this point? Like, are are you like able to relish in in these moments, or is it like because you don't get to 250 pounds and like that that's a that's a point? Yeah, I, I when I hit the 250, I remember this day vividly. Like I I was sitting at the store. I looked to the left and I looked at myself in the mirror and all I would see is like flabs, like blubber, you know, like flab, wow. flab of my stomach coming to the front, flab of my belly going to the side, a flab going to the back. Wow. And I just remember being like so depressed and being like, oh, shit. You know what? What girl's going to touch me? Like wow. what woman's going to touch me looking like this? Like this is crazy. So I just said to myself, I got to stop. And that's when I really did the shift. And at that time, a lot of interesting things were happening. So DC Shoes started to sell more. And at my time, my friend Emil was the head and creative director of apparel of DC Shoes. Another friend of mine started a footwear company called Clay Footwear. Wow. And he was the creative director of DC Shoes Footwear. Mm. So I knew both creative directors. And... 
Quicksilver had just purchased and acquired DC Shoes. So they came to me and they started to see how much DC Shoes I was selling. Yeah. And at the time, Emil was friends with Stevie Williams because Stevie Williams was one of their pro writers. And Stevie comes from Philly. Yeah. So Stevie would never wear a flex fit hat. And at the t- back then, only action sports people would wear flex fit hats, yeah. not fitteds. Fitteds was the East Coast thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. New Era never penetrated really outside of baseball tradition, like buying yeah. a, maybe like a LA Dodgers or a, um, an Angels hat. Yeah. You would wear that hat. But it wasn't until them calling me and saying, hey, Steve, look, I know that you're doing the flyest custom New Eras in your store. Can you connect me with New Era? So I then, after two years, it took me two years to get to the executive team of New Era and pitch to them to say, look, there's this brand called DC Shoes on the West Coast. They're massive. There's hundreds of millions of dollars of companies of action sports business. You need to be a part of this. So after two years of me giving up, and they just were like, I don't see it. I can't, I don't see it. Yeah. They sent me a letter and they're like, I get a call from Emil and like, they're like, yo, they did it. They're like, yo, Steve, you made it happen. So New Era signed a deal with DC Shoes to be the first action sports hat in the world to deal with an actual fitted hat. Mm. At that time, Travis Barker was on TV with his show. Robin Big was going to start wow. on the MTV show. And we started to sell DC Shoes, Travis Barker collab hats that Dope. he wore on the show oh, with all the boomboxes. During that time, the product exploded. They're selling on millions of dollars of DC Shoes hats. Now it's going into Zoomies, oh. Journeys, Hot Topic, you name it. Wild. I then get a call from Wayne at DC Shoes and they're like, yo, Steve, we want you to present to the whole East Coast staff and tell them what you're doing and give a full competitive analysis on the industry. Mm. At that time, one of my close friends was working for DC. His name is John Bashemi, who owns <laughs> Bashemi now. Legend. At, he was, during that time, I met him because I was selling so much product he was my salesman, my sales rep for clay. Oh, so he would wow. sell me clay footwear. So we built an organic relationship. He then moves from Long Island to San Diego to Carlsbad and works for DC. Oh, wow. I give the presentation at a hotel room, a huge conference room in New York in front of 60 executives of DC. I completely kill it. I destroy it. Yeah. Drop the mic. <laughs> Walk out the building. You fucking better, dog. Gave him a full competitive analysis of the, of the market. One of the senior vice presidents, who's later now one of my mentors, gives me his business card and he's like, yo, Steve, I've heard of you. I heard your name Sneaker Steve before while I was at Nike. <clears throat> he was an executive at Nike. Wow. Quicksilver had hired him to be at DC Shoes. And he was like, would you like to do this again? Mm. And this is something very important. Because I went to NYU, I knew a woman by the name of Elena Romero. Elena was somebody I looked up to, and this changed my life because she 
told me what my value was. She was like, look, see, when you consult for them, you're going to give these guys millions of dollars of information. Yeah. And you need to charge them this amount. Yeah. That, because I look at my journey as I was able to climb and put myself in a better network, I knew where people had information. So if I asked somebody in Queens, how much do I charge a $100 million company? What two hours of my value of my time is? They wouldn't know how to answer me. No, totally. But because I went to NYU and she was the youngest editor of DNR, which is like a WWD magazine now yeah. in the industry, she was like, yo, Steve, you're worth this. Cash that check. Cash that check. And this is what you're going to give them. Honestly, I was scared. I was like, no way. Like, what was the I, number she told you? I'd rather not say. I got you. You know, but you see the rolling. Got you. So I respect that. You, you look <laughs> at like, what that positioned me and now all of a sudden I'm now charging X amount for mm. my time. Yeah. I understood my value and that started to set me off. So now all of a sudden I start consulting. I help them. They're like, look, Steve, we love this. Can you do this more? Yeah. My invoices get so high at DC that I'm like, yo, what about if I stopped the store, stopped gauzy, stopped what I'm doing, and just focus on one thing in my life. So now I'm like 25, 26. After like a year of convincing them, because they didn't believe that I was going to stop being this hustler. Yeah. I then fly to Italy with the whole DC executive team. They offer me the position in Italy, in Sistieri, during the Winter Olympics, yeah. I become one of the global employees of DC Shoes. I hit the daily news. Sunday article comes out. My picture is this big in the daily news. And they say, in a global market, he's a shoe-in. Wow. So it's Sneaker Steve. I'm like this, 25, 26 years old. Huge DC Shoes behind me. And I'm in the paper. That's fucking insane. <laughs> like, what the fuck? And in a global market, y'all, he's a fucking shoe in. So all my friends are bugging. They're like, holy shit. So just imagine like what my friends are thinking. I'm in the fucking newspaper. And my page is this big. Yo. Sunday edition. Literally like... Like this, oh, arms out. DC shoes everywhere. And now all of a sudden, I'm a hit because Gauzy, unfortunately, the investors were fucking dicks. Yeah. It didn't work out with the investor. Right after that, I launched the company Members Only. So I don't know if you guys remember the Members Only jackets. Oh, yeah. So I, after I take a real hit and I go on a low because the investors pull out of the deal. Can we take a moment to talk about this point? Yeah. Right? Is because even with a lot of young cats today, like looking for funding, looking for money, like thinking that it's going to take X amount of funding to start their business. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're working terms out and all these things and like we're getting a good deal. Right. The one thing about investments is, is that you're beholden to the money. Yeah. Like they're funding your dream, but like these cats aren't worried about the culture. These cats are worrying about return on their investment. 
you may be lucky to find somebody that knows the game, knows the culture, and is like has an empathetic a, a attachment to it. But like, I hear so many kids talking about, yeah, dog, I'm getting this investor, and yeah, you know, all we need is X amount. So like, we found this person, that person, and even I've heard stories of family, right, investment. But then when that investment comes in, one way or another, it could go sour, and yep. that could be over. Very quickly. And it could be over with just a, okay, it's done, or it could be over with the, oh, my God, there's X amount of lawsuits going on, and nobody knows what the fuck's going on. How is this happening? Yeah, right. and that was, and then, you know, for me, it went sour, sour. Really? So it was like pink slips, fire the staff, <sighs> deal with the inventory. You got denim in fucking you know, coming in from China with no home. Wow. You know, you got bills, you got take away the fax machine, you got a lease on the line, like everything crashed. What was that like for you? It was like, that's a fucking was, hard stop before. Yeah. And, and remember, I'm 25. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and that's before the DC. This is before the DC. So was that one of the catalysts? For you to just focus on one thing? Definitely. Mm. Definitely. Because if if, if Gauzy would have kept going, I probably would have stayed there. Yeah. But because it didn't, and now all of a sudden, I have to bounce back. <sighs> for me, it was really like, all right. I thought about Puffy. I thought, I was like, yo, what would Diddy do? What would Diddy do? Like, mm. He needs another hit. He needs a hit. So I kind of just brushed that whole shit off my shoulder. Wow. I dealt with it like a man. We paid whatever we could pay off. Looked at people straight in the face and was like, I'm so sorry. You know, this is not us. Yeah. And people knew us for 10 years. Yeah. So they knew that this was just a, a, a bad fortune. Yeah. Um, and that's when we launched, you know, I, I pitched the president of Membersoni to relaunch that brand. And because I still had the store, I was able to like now. And actually, this is interesting because I had to bite my ego and go back to the store. Wow. Kind of like with my head down. Like, fuck, wow. I didn't make it. Wow. And now I'm 25 at the store, which is like, and I started there at 16, so it's like, wah, wah. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. go back to the hood. Yeah. And now you're the guy with the Times Square yeah. office, but I'm selling you sneakers. But that was And still, I have an NYU degree. Yeah. And I'm selling you sneakers. The wild shit is, like, when I look at that and I look back at it, like, that was your branding playground. That was your sales playground. That was your culture playground, like, your product playground. Because not only were you looking at the consumer behavior of the hood, you also had a very like exquisite preference and palette for design and colors and like what was really rocking and what was really tasteful, right? And to think bringing members only back, at the end of the day, like you had built a home and that home was a hub yeah. of what was hot as fuck. So it was like, if, if if I could just even look at it this way, it's like, damn, like, you you may have went back to the crib, to mom's house, quote unquote, or dad's house, yeah. you know what I mean? Or uncle uncle's house, right? But like, you went back there and you're like, well, shit, we got a home, like, what are we going to do next? And that was my mentality. So, you know, I've always been a hustler. Mm. So we signed a deal with Members Only. What I do is I'm like, okay, Members Only's played out at this time. We're going to do this. We're going to make the jackets tight and fitted so only the fashionistas can buy it and wear it. Word. The hood can't buy it. We're going to take the Nike catalogs. I know all the sneakers that are dropping. 
I'm going to take the jackets and color block them like the Air Forces and the Dunks that mm. are dropping. So, for example, if a black, white, red, if I knew a Jordan was dropping, for the first time you would see the color block members only jackets. Wow. We would take them and perforate them. So I purposely said we're going to make them small so only fashionistas can buy them and we're going to do the colors that are going to match all the new Nike Dunks. And I'm going to do the distribution deal. I set it up with a big showroom in New York City and literally overnight it was millions of dollars in sales. Oh, wow. So I was able to get all my guys at Gauzy jobs. Wow. So I created jobs for them. I'm like, look, you're going to design, you're going to do this, you're going to market, you're going to tech pack. Yeah. I'm going to get paid. We're all living. Yeah. And I had the newspaper again. Bounce back. Bounce back. (laughs) So even before the Daily News article on what was happening with DC Shoes, I hit the New York Post for the members only deal. <laughs> and for me... When we hitting the Times, though. <laughs> that's when I hit the LA. <laughs> and it happened. So <laughs> I was already like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to hustle. I'm Diddy. I need a hit. I need a hit. Members only hits. Boom. We're right back. All of a sudden, DC calls me. I'm like, guys, you're, you got the check. Take members only. Continue to sell it. I'm going. Oh, wow. I'm going to bottle myself up. And my one of my best friends today is Sergio Parra from Queens. And he said, Steve, look, you're like hot sauce. We need to bottle you up and sell you. Wow. That's what you need to do. You're like, I respect that your team and your members and they did this, but you're sneaker Steve. Wow. We need to bottle that up and sell it. So that's when I decided to go to DC Shoes. And I really thank the team there to, to hire me and give me this chance as a 26-year-old Latino to have a global position. So me, I moved to Carlsbad and me and John Buscemi, we head up the lifestyle division. So we're now designing all the lifestyle shoes. We do the first new era sneaker shoe in history. Wild. So now all of a sudden we're selling at Colette. We're selling at Dover Street Market, Atmos. <laughs> I didn't take DC shoes to the trade shows. The first trade show, we probably got like 290 leads of accounts. I go to DC, go ahead and run with it. Wild. We, during that time, DC shoes hires a new president from Australia. He's a beast. We're hiring people from the Gap Japan. We're hiring people from MTV in Hong Kong. DC shoes now has Quicksilver money. That time, DC Shoes goes from 90 to over $500 million. Wow. Holy shit. We wow. create history. We oh, now wow. are, I'm now the man. <sighs> I, because I had such a good business acumen yeah. and I was already very educated, they trusted me, even though I was younger than some of the staff. Sure. I then get hired and promoted as the global director of DC Shoes. I'm now the global director. I'm working with Ken Block on his programs we're working with damon way the founders on his artist projects i'm going to now help them solidify a sales distribution a marketing outlet a seeding plan so really now it's setting up a strategic business to you and a business model that solidifies the two owners creating projects so we did mike shinoda shoe because (laughs) Ken was really good friends with Mike Shinoda. Yeah. We did Travis Barker shoe, which we sold thousands and thousands of pairs of shoes. 
I then now coming to LA, we when Travis does his MTV show, <coughs> DJ Vice is spinning, Paris Hilton. Now all of a sudden I'm on the MTV show the day that they're filming. I'm in out a part of a different life. Yeah, totally. And the way that I think is like, okay, I always look at the market and my myself as multiple markets. So I look at it like I have the hip hop industry check. I have designer because I sell at Fred Siegel and Bloomingdale's check skateboarding. It's another bi- multiple billion dollar industry check. <laughs> I've just created the new era deal. The new era deal goes to in a couple of years to almost a $70 million separate business unit. Wow. That then creates where now you see a new era. So because of my store and the deal that I created, you see a Supreme hat. Undefeated. Lit. Diamond. You would not see that if not the deal that I created yeah. for New Era. That solidifies me as a player in the action sports yeah. industry. Yeah. I get the job. Because you got a behemoth to move. Like those old money doesn't want to like take new opportunities, especially in the hood. Like we'll let y'all fizzle out. But like little did they know that this culture and subculture is going to grow to be so robust that it's like everybody has to jump on or you're too late. And I saw it. I saw it before anyone. Yeah. So we did a special program with New Era called 2094. They started in 1920, DC Shoes in 94. And we, we launched that throughout the world. Wild. We did some of the most special collaborations while I was there. And so now at DC Shoes, I'm, I'm traveling the whole world. So now I'm in Australia I'm on yachts in Australia doing sales meetings. Remember, I'm 26, 27, 20 years old. I'm now flying to Prague. I'm in Paris. I buy my first $20,000 watch with, with me, with my, one of my good friends at DC Shoes. I'm buying black diamond watches. You know, like, I feel you. Like, fuck a Rolex. Yeah. I'm like, Rolex, that's for anybody. Yeah. You know, I have a Degrosogono watch with black stingray with black diamonds. With white gold. Wild. You know, I'm buying watches that basically CEOs of Fortune 500 companies buy. Yeah. Because I like, I don't want a Roly. Yeah. That's like for starter kits. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for real. This is how I'm there. thinking at 28. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 29 years old. Yeah. And so now all of a sudden I'm in Korea, going back and forth to Korea because we're, we're at manufacturing trips. So I'm going to the factories, seeing how they develop. From there, so I'm building a network of what factory is this owners. Experience for you, like because like <laughs> your, your yeah. whole time you were asking for the keys, and now you, literally you had the global keys, a global director's keys. Like when you walk in, it's like what? I'm literally creating what is now this mixture of kids wearing Vans and ripped jeans and flight jackets. I created a big part of that movement of that skateboarding look yeah. going from west coast to east coast. Yeah. I was able to cross that over. And what do you think that eye was? Like if we take it for this point, like cause you saw a lot of things really early, right? From at the, from thinking of like twenty nine to, to previous, what do you think it was that like had you really see it that way? Because like a lot of cats experienced what you did for the most part. You had your partners that were really dope at what they did, but like you had the vision, right? What do you think it was? It, it doesn't even have to be direct, but what do you think it was that allowed you to kind of really like 
be able to really hone your vision at that point. I know exactly what it is. It's remember when I was telling you, like going to high school, I just wanted it to like destroy it, kill everybody. Everybody. Yeah. It's that competitive nature. So fashion is war in New York City. Got it. You're literally going through like uh, you walk in a runway. Every day is a runway. <laughs> and you're trying to kill you. everybody's outfit. Like that is your only mission. Like I'm going to just destroy shit. And everyone's going to look at me. And the only way you could do it is by competing. So what what's going to differentiate mm. is like I'm wearing something that you don't know about, that you can't find. That, and it was really this hunter and gatherer because there was no internet. Wow. Right, this is just the beginning of the internet. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So I'm bringing in all you either these knew goods. Or you didn't. Yeah. So now all of a sudden, I'm creating something brand new, bringing it to stores and distribution that never been done before. So I'm now meeting with the biggest retailers in the country, saying this is the next wave. <laughs> Hence, but now you got Pharrell coming out, you got Lupe coming out. So all of a sudden, this kind of skateboard P yeah. drops. So there's a wave now. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, hip hop culture, especially in music at that BBC time. BBC Ice Cream, yeah. Bathing Ape, Nego. Yep. Yeah. It starts to infiltrate. Yeah. And I then see it. I magnify it on a huge level. Yeah. The rest of the skateboard brands are like, holy shit. For real. DC just grew to fucking half a billion. Yeah. Oh my God. What the fuck are they doing? Yeah. Vans is behind us. Lakai is behind us. ES is behind us. They build New York offices. So I was a part of creating that. This wow. massive team. Wild. And taking these special programs of what was happening with DC Shoes. I mean, the executive team at DC was just brilliant. You know, like... The senior vice presidents, Damon Way, Ken Block, Rob Deerdick, they were just geniuses. I got to learn hand, you know, side by side with them. And once Robin Big hit TV and MTV, it was a wrap. It was a wrap. Exploded. Um, and that's when I met Drama, you know, wow. because we were actually at that same party for Travis Barker. <laughs> so now all of a sudden, I'm the global director of DC Shoes. I'm handling the lifestyle program. I have an apartment in San Diego. I have an apartment in LA. I have an apartment in Miami. I'm like, mom, take the keys because I just can't keep up with the apartments. Bless you. And mom, take the keys. Mom, take the keys. Take the Miami apartment. Wild. I have apartments in four coasts. Yo. I'm traveling the whole world. And now I'm just like, what's next? Yeah. So... During that time, I'm making more money than some vice presidents of the company. I'm a director, but I have a special deal with the company yeah. because I'm like, look, guys, not only am I the lifestyle director, but I'm also selling. So I'm part of the only hybrid position yeah. where they didn't tell anybody, but I was making more money than vice presidents in the company. Wow. So I had a very, very special position that was built for me. And I was like, look, if I'm going to do sales and creative and oversee as a director, I need two levels of revenue that yeah. are going to come to me. 100%. So that I'm compensated adequately. And I was always a triple threat. Yeah. So I was a very different person. You couldn't yeah. just hire me. Yeah. And because they were receiving and trickling down so many of the ideas that, that John and I and our team and the designers were coming up with, yeah. they were making millions of dollars at the Zoomies, yes. active, pack sun level, because we we're coming up with all these ideas. Yeah. So we then come out and I'm like, I'm starting to come out to LA. At this time, I don't know how to drive. 
Oh my God! <laughs> Yo, from hold New the York. fuck up! Hold the fuck up! You're yeah. from New York. Yeah, but from the New York, I I fucking get you from New York. But how old are you at this point? Thirty. From New York, so there's a thirty. There's a lot of thirty year olds in New York that there, never driven. They're never are. driven. Yeah, that's wild. No, there are. There's tons. Tons. Oh, I stand bro. corrected. Oh, dude, when I lived when I lived in New York and went to college, I was dumbfounded at how many people didn't know how to drive. That's that was my wild. Age in college. Yeah. Respect oh. to their transportation system, bro. Yeah, oh, the transportation 100%. is like, it's incredible. It's out, um, outrageous. So I'm now going to LA. I meet my friends uh, who run the Nike Blue House, uh, B-Win. I start to connect again with my guys, the creative recreation guys, because they're now this company's big now. Yeah. They now have multiple million dollar company. I start to come to LA more and I love Hollywood. I'm just like enamored by the glitz. I love it. I see it. And I'm like, in my mind, once again, I'm like, I got skateboarding. Check. Billion dollar industry. My resume is crazy. Um, doing the agenda shows. Because at that time, our friend Aaron runs Agenda, the show. Wow. We bring DC Shoes to Agenda. I'm building crazy contacts. My store is still going on. My store is now popping. So <laughs> I'm now managing. Now I'm the global director of DC Shoes. So I can now have more pull. So I'm pulling big, big cards. I'm like, you big know boy moves. set up, you know, I'm calling Huff. Be like, yo, Huff, I need this from my store. Yo, Ben, I need this. I need the hundreds. Nick Diamond, yo, can you please? And thank to Nick. Nick was one of the first people to give us trucks for the store. So now all of wow. a sudden my store is designed and, and the sneakers are all on trucks. Oh, dope. Wow. So it's this incredible build out. We have a new build out. All the brands are behind me because I'm the global director of DC. I now have the hottest store in New York. I bring in a brand new company that doesn't even have a name season one, which turns into Black Scale. Nice. So Wild. at that time, I'm traveling to San Francisco. I'm going to information in Hawaii. I'm Because I'm selling, I'm building this incredible network of stores around the world. They're now selling their products in my store. So I'm always the first one to launch. First one to launch Black Scale. First one to launch The Hundreds. First one to launch Crooks and Castles. Wild. I am the go-to. I am the wave. Wild. Literally. The wave. Creating it. Yeah. So because the stores start to become more powerful, I then look at like, okay, cool. What can I do? So I help then create a scholarship for kids in New York City through the school. We create a collaboration. We now have DC Shoes in Harlem at Atmos we then all of a sudden some of the programs that we sold like the JB Classics uh, we had a special guy named JB who did this beautiful shoe they were selling at Barney's so we had a DC shoe selling at Barney's wow. literally taking it from the mall from Journeys to, to Barney's and at the time my friend calls me and he's like yo Steve one of our childhood friends Jamie has just moved to LA and I'm like, yo, no doubt. I know Jamie. I grew up playing basketball with him. I go check Jamie, and what I find out is that Jamie is Lamar Odom's best friend, and he's just helping him out. So Lamar has got a clothing brand in L.A. Okay. They just got, I believe at that time, he had just come off the Miami Heat, got traded from the Clippers to the Miami Heat, then goes to uh, L.A., and now he's a Laker. That's right. Wild. So... I go to Jamie's house. They're living in Playa Vista, Marina del Rey, uh, because the Lakers training facility is right there. Yeah. 
So I'm coming up from DC Shoes and I'm like, yo, I'm ready to make a move in my mind. And I'm like, Why are you holy ready to make a shit. Move in your mind? Sorry, because dude. there's one guy who's just a dick at DC Shoes and he's fucking aching me. And I'm like, at the same time, I'm now having more confrontation at work. And I'm saying like, holy shit, these guys are fucking making $500 million. Yeah, I'm making a ridiculous salary more than anybody at my level, but it's not $500 million. Yeah. So not even close. And I just want more. So I look at it and, and I'm like, I'm dying in San Diego. Like I'm in Carlsbad. It's yeah. fucking dead at six o'clock. Yeah. yeah. So my life is like, what the fuck? I think about it and I hit up Jamie and I immediately see it. And I'm like, holy shit, Jamie, bro. You got a fucking gold mine. Like you're, you got a Laker. And he's from Queens. And he's your best friend. It's a fucking wrap. The stars aligned. The stars aligning. So I go to Jamie and I'm like, yo, what if I quit these issues and we start a company with Lamar here in LA? And at that time, my business partner now at Android Home years later was also wanting to split up with his business partner. And he was responsible for a big showroom. So I'm like, look, he had moved from New York to L.A. too. And I'm like, look, Matt, why don't we team up with Jamie and Lamar and create a company? Jamie, at the time, they were getting ready to create a, a TV show called Floor Seats, which later developed into kind of the Chloe and Lamar show. Wow. And the show was called Floor Seats. So basically it's the entourage Lifestyle, right? So yeah. Lamar is the NBA player. I'm his best friend from Queens. You know, that was Jamie and Lamar. That right. was their story. Right. LA life, floor seats. Yeah. I'm sitting next to Jack. Straight up. Straight up. So I go to Jamie and he's like, yo, look, I got this young guy. He's really, really like loves the Lakers. His family owns one of the largest licensing animation companies in the Valley. And we find out later that his father had created some of the biggest animation intellectual properties in the world. So they're doing like billions of dollars in licensing. I mean, it's 90210. So now our partner is one of the biggest families in LA. Huge house in Malibu. He's incredible. He's half Colombian. Wow. I'm like... Oh my God, holy shit. So now we got one of the biggest families in LA. We got Lamar Odom. We got Jamie. You got Matt and myself. And we create a company called Takeout. Because we're going to fucking take everyone out. <laughs> wow, lit. That's fucking lit. <laughs> so you, this, left, you left DC? I left DC. What was uh, that like? I didn't really... I, I was just thinking big. I'm like... We got the world by our hands. I don't care. I left a ridiculous job. Like, holy shit, I was making so much money. Like, I left something crazy. And I just believed in myself, and I was like, I want more. Were you, were you healthier at this point, or were you still big, Steve? I was big, but I was starting to get healthier. Got it. You know, I was starting to be like, and really, honestly, it was more from a vein standpoint. Got it. I, I, yeah. I got to L.A. Because you were a fly boy. You like the chickies, and you know the chickies love aesthetic. 
And I was going to LA and big wasn't sexy. Word. So I was like, holy shit, if I'm going to make it in this LA Hollywood life, I need to be sexy. Yeah. So we formed the company. We do this. And, you know, one of our consultants is one of the biggest music entertainment lawyers in the industry. We now have this just superpower master team. Power team. Yeah. One of our first deals is we go to Crooks and Castles and we're like, look, we're going to license Crooks and Castles and we're going to do it on custom suits. Lamar has access to Kobe, Carmelo, all these amazing athletes. And we're going to sell Crooks and Castles, cashmere, super 150, super 180 suits custom for two to $5,000. All of a sudden, Lamar, we make Lamar's first couple samples. Kobe's like, yo, yo, L, what the fuck is that? Like, how do you got a suit with Medusas on the back? Remember the Medusa with yeah. the, yeah, of the Crooks? Yeah. So we would do like black pinstripe suits with cashmere hoods with Medusas in the back. Wow. Kobe was bugging. He was like, yo, L, like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And we're like, yo, we make it for you. So L was smart. You know, L was like, yo, whatever, the, if, you know, if like Benga wanted one, we'll make it for him. The sales team that we, we, we teamed up with was one of the biggest custom suit companies that would deal with all the athletes. Mm. So we did the licensing deal with Crooks. We were doing custom suits. We did a huge party. We did a launch at one of the Playboy suites in LA. Excuse me, actually in Vegas. Wow. Playboy suite. Mm. And now all of a sudden, we got this going on. Bobby, because he was... Uh, you know, one of Rod Stewart's son's best friends, so like Sean Stewart, that was his best friend growing up, they had a show called Sons of Malibu. So it was like Les Moonves, Sean Stewart, yeah. kind of like the big, yeah. the sons of Hollywood. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. was, it was all of them, and, you know, they were the biggest thing coming out of Hollywood. They signed a huge deal. He buys the G-Wagon. Now, all of a sudden, he's introducing to me, to his friends, um, so now we become friends with like a lot of the big, you know, his girlfriend is Lindsay Lohan's roommate. Uh, the Hadid family is part of their like close family growing up you together. Just, you, you just plugged into the echelon of this Hollywood the shit. Echelon. And young Hollywood. Young Hollywood, but your parents are running the world. Yeah, <laughs> you know, real. so like Les Moonves, Ari Emanuel are friends of the family. We can walk into Ari's office and have a meeting. We actually pitched the TV show Floor Seats to them with Luke Walton and Lamar Odom going into the office. It's entourage. Wild. It's literally, we're living entourage and we're from Queens. So now all of a sudden we're like, okay, we're gunning, we're doing this. And what we see is that we can take a meeting with anybody in this town. Yeah. And at that time, we're like, yo, look, L. You're fucking incredible, and I wish more people would know Lamar personally because he's an incredible person. Yeah. And we would tell him, like, look, this ghetto shit is not going to get you anywhere, bro. Like, you're a fucking star. Like, anytime anybody's got to talk with him that really knows him, he's a fucking star. He's a stud. Wow. And we're like, look, this is the way you're going to dress. These are the parties you're going to go to. These are the restaurants you're going to eat at. Mm. This is going to be, we created like a creative agency, yeah. him. Yeah. yeah. And you're going to get healthy and you're going to be positive. All of a sudden, it starts to work. 
he's now getting interviewed. People are like stopping him, asking him about, yo, what is that? He's like, it's my company called Takeout. He's wearing the hat. We do another deal with New Era. And we're now going to the best restaurants. He's dating certain people. The Lakers win the championship. We do the... Damn. The stars. The oh. stars. Keeply aligned. Yeah. It's... Shit. And we do, you know... Fuck. Lakers beat Boston. We do the undefeated collab. So the... Which says Boston sucks. T-shirts. On. With the number seven on it. And now we're working with Dr. Romanelli. Who's one of the most amazing designers <laughs> in the world? Who's who's his dad is part of one of the heads of like owning all of the licensing to like some of the biggest animation out there. We're doing big deals, big players. Y'all taking everybody out. We're taking everybody out. I hit the LA Times. <laughs> Bang! My picture comes out. <laughs> Sneaker Steve wearing oh, takeout. Yeah, like yeah. now all of a sudden, me and my. Other business partner at the time called Leo, Leo Velasquez, LV the stylist, we're now in the LA Times. <sighs> so this is a very special time because when Lamar was here, we had big budgets and we were like, look, oh, these are the clubs you're going to go to. This is what you're going to do. Because a lot of the NBA guys are already spending a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. But we're like, look, El, you don't need to spend money. We're going to get you the clothes for free. We're going to get you this done. We're going to get you into these clubs. You don't need to pop the bottles. We have access to fashion and content. And at that time, my friend Carla, who's like, yo, this is dope. This is dope. She connects me with Javier. Javier is now my business partner at Androdome. Mm. She connects me to Javier. Javier's like, yo, I used to wear gauzy when I lived in the Bay. Oh, shit. And I'm like, no way. Wow. Crazy. She goes like, yeah, Carla hooked me up with a t-shirt. So Carla's like, okay, yo, you need to meet Javier. Javier at the time owned him and Jerry Lorenzo were partners at a company called JL Nights. So they ran all the biggest nightlife in LA. Wow. So all the hottest clubs that you would go to were done by Javier and Jerry. Wow. And their both initials are JL. Yeah. Javier Laval or Jerry Lorenzo. Yeah. And at that time, they were working with Nuka Watches and Pony. So they were doing product placement and seating. They did the Glow in the Dark tour for Kanye. They did the Glow in the Dark Nuka Watches. They were doing Drake, Rihanna. So they were hyper-connected. Yeah. But they were very mesmerized by takeout because they were had this nightclub business, but they're like, holy shit, you know, we're meeting at Bobby's house yeah. in a multiple million dollar home in Malibu. Yeah. They're like... We ain't doing that. Y'all are in multiple verticals too. Like y'all hitting mediums and verticals just on smash, taking everybody out. And we become friends. Yeah. So now it's me, Javier, Jerry. I'm bringing in Leo. We are now in. Kanye does the video with Kerry Hilson and and Neo. Love Lockdowns. The first time the world sees a Yeezy. You know, but back then for Nike. He's wearing the black and pink oh, Yeezys. Wild. Oh, if you Wild. look at that video, oh, right? Shit. Which we'll look at it right now. Shit, let's go. Bring it up. You'll see exactly like the people that are running the fashion industry right now in that video. <laughs> Yo. So. Yo. <laughs> so love lockdown. I think it's like knock you, knock you down, Kerry Hilson. 
This is it right here. Look at this. Yo, we over here watching YouTube videos. On the Shout out to the ads, though. Fuck it. They're going to get it. You got to get their money. Yeah. You're going to bug out. This is literally all of us in the video. This is when he drops the, the first Nike black and pink easy. See right now, watch. So now you're gonna see the next scene. We're all in it. See that black and pink yeah. Yeezy yeah. for the first time. And this was done by Chris Robinson, who's filming Robot Films, which did New Edition. So here. Go ahead. I wanna kick it with my girl today. So you see B Win, so hold on. Wow. So you, so you yeah, got B Win, Jerry, Javier. And they're all wearing, you know, so Javier, Jerry, they're all wearing Android Dome t shirts. Me, Matt. So all of us are there. And. You know, so Nick Diamond, Sean Merriman, all the our whole community, and really like it's it was a special time because at that time everyone was coming. So Chicago, New York, we're all coming to LA. So we got this company, and I then at that time the HBO after party hits, which is one of the biggest, you know. And I introduced Kanye and Don C to Lamar. Wow. So we're at the we're at the Grammy after party. This is like during the Sopranos. Sopranos is big. Entourage is big oh, on HBO. Shit, that area. Wow. This is like red carpet. We're there. And Ye is there. I'm like, yo, Ye, is it cool? Because I met him so many years ago. I was like, yeah. is it cool if I introduce you to Lamar? And the yeah. They meet. We all take pictures together. Years later. Their brother-in-laws. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fucking wild. Is that real? It's not fucking real. real. Is that fucking real? What the fuck? For real, Like, for just real. digest that shit. Yeah. And, you know, these, these are things that only very few people know. Like, these are some things that, I, that only me and my wife know. Yeah. And this is my life. Yeah. yeah. So, we then 
start to learn more about how, what's happening in the industry. Bobby is really working on trying to get these shows going on. Me and Matt are trying to get takeout fashion. We're doing this. And, you know, really what we see is that we're becoming like this super positive part of Lamar's life at that time. And little by little, we start trying to amplify it, amplify, amplify it. And the next year, we start to see like a change. You know, they're maybe going in a different route than me and Matt. And really quickly, we just decide like, yo, look, we don't like the decisions they're making. We're just going to bounce. Really? It was that deep? It was deep. So later on in life, I look at it like, you know, you got to really follow your gut and see what people's decisions are making. And I literally was at, you know, when we decided to quit the company, probably after the second year, we're just like, look, guys, we just can't. We can't deal with this. So, like, we're going to split. And it was incredible because, you know, it's one of those moments where they had just about to win the second championship. <laughs> it was probably, like, around June. And Lamar's on the phone with Chloe. They're going to get married the next day. So I'm like, yo, whatever it is, it's cool. You do you. Yeah. Wow. He, his, his life was just going like this, you know, skyrocketing. But I'm like, look, no matter how big your life is and is getting, I can't agree to some of the things that's going that you're down. doing. That's yeah. going down. So like me and Matt walked. We split the company. And that was probably one of the like the hardest points in my life, my lows, because imagine I'm coming from Sean Stewart's house, house in Malibu, uh, apartment in Playa Vista. I'm on the floor seats yeah. talking to Jack Nickel. Like I'm with the biggest stars in the world. Yeah. I'm meeting, you know, the I'm at the MTV Awards. I'm meeting the president of Viacom. Yeah, yeah. I'm in an alpha, alpha, alpha world. Yeah. To now, I don't have a job. I don't have an apartment. And I have no salary. Yo. So I come from this huge position at DC, skyrocket this company, Alpha Network, and I have no money. <laughs> you know, and I remember at the time, I think we negotiated like a, it was like a few thousand bucks as some kind of like transition. <laughs> I knew that I had enough money to survive for like three to four months. I took whatever I had. And basically, I had to find a place to live, but I didn't have a job, so I can't tell somebody, you know, you, you have to show revenue yeah. or some kind of paycheck to get a place. So, you know, thank God for this girl named Lorena. She allowed me to stay on her couch. Wow. So now I'm... I'm Wait, talk, talk. hold on, hold on, hold yeah. on. No, we're, not, we're not breezing past this one. <laughs> yeah. You just went from fucking... Like alpha world to couch, couch. Like you, you could from takeout to, to no job. Out. Yeah, yeah. There's so many things that are going on. Like one, how do you even? What what's that talk with yourself like mm. before you make that jump, knowing that like so look, so many people stay in things just for the security or just for the salary, even yeah. when it's not that much. Yeah. yeah. Even when it's not that fucking much and comes with zero perks. Like, you had a company that you were an owner in. 
So financially, the sky's the limit. Total access. So what, what's that conversation with yourself to say, I'm going back to the bottom? Even as much as you believed in yourself, just taking yourself out of that lifestyle and knowing that you have to now endure the polar opposite lifestyle. Jump with no parachute, essentially. You know what? Like, and this is something I, I've never talked about ever, you know, publicly. But some of my business partners were doing drugs. Yeah. And when you have a business partner that's not waking up, or a few of them that are not waking up to go to work, and you're fucking like, "Yo, do you see this shit? Like, we're a fucking top of the world. Like, do you see what's happening? Do you see what we're doing? The whole world's watching." And. I just knew now that you know me from my background in Queens, yeah. I was like, I ain't going through this shit again. No. Like Oof. I'm not personal gonna, demons are not going to take us down. Yeah. Like I can't, we passed that. I passed that. Yeah. Oh. I passed that, you know? So I really was like, you know what? I don't want to be a part of this. My business partner was clean. I was clean and I just wanted a different journey. And I was like, okay, guys, you know, I love you guys. I respect yeah. you guys, but I just can't be a part of that. I'm going somewhere else. Yeah. So really it was that. It was like a life or death wow. situation where I and was And it like, must have been really real, though, at that point. Because it's like, it's wild to think about a side skyrocketing. But no, you're like, y'all all were like, yo, we've we, we more like built this and it's become, it's thriving but then there's personal demons that like you could be as high as you want. But if the personal demons are attached, like what is being on top of the world? Nothing. And, you know, I was I, I was like, for me, this is what it was. It was like, look, I got to save myself. Yeah. Because if not, I can I can either die or I could be a part of something really bad. So yeah. me and Matt left and. I then just literally had like $10 a day. Like, so I would eat Trader Joe's every day. I would kind of like finagle how to like not meet somewhere, not have dinners. You know, everyone in LA is like, yo, let's yeah. have dinner. Yeah. I couldn't afford a dinner. Wild. So, what was your, what was happening? Like, how were you dealing with your ego at that time? It was mm. hard. It was hard because imagine like you just. You're on top of the 30 days world. ago. I'm at Sean Stewart's house, like I'm going to Bel Air and then I'm at a, and now all of a sudden I'm at the floor seats at the Laker game and 30 days later, I can't even go to dinner. <laughs> like I can't pay for sushi. I can't pay for a $20 meal. Wild. So I had to evade this. Like, so it was like people invite me out and I'm like, I'm not hungry. <laughs> or, you know, and I've told people this before, like me and Matt would set up, try to set up meetings and we would meet at coffee shops and not drink. And we'd be like, buy a tea because we had $3 or $5 between the Wild. Because we have no salary. Wild. There's no money. So whatever we had and Matt was living at a fucking crazy apartment. I was living on a couch and... We laugh about it now because we're like, holy shit. His roommate is now the sound man for the weekend. Wow. So he is basically the weekend sound. Yeah. <laughs> Traveling all around the world and was headhunted by the weekend after coming off 
Bruno Mars. Wild dog. And that was what he was roommate. So like we come from when we feel that Hollywood story, we really feel it. Yeah. And and it's not always like Hollywood story. No. There's a true Hollywood story. It was a true Hollywood story. So at that time, Javier was starting Androdome. The club life was getting a little bit too hectic for him. And he was like, look, I want to start something. So he showed me the first Androdome shoe. I went to his loft. I was like, yo, these are dope, but they fucking suck. <laughs> like, but they're ill. Yeah. Like, holy shit. You know, but I can make them so much better uh. and we can help you sell and we can do this. And, you know, I spoke with Maddie and Maddie was like, look, Steve, you know, if we're going to do this, we need to be partners. So we quickly, I think within like four five, six months came up with a partnership deal. So we became partners and owners of Androdome with Javier and Sonny Word. and later my, our friend Josh. And we were like, OK, we're going to do this. So I was so broke that I decided Javier had a factory in China. I went with him to China and we saw what the factory could do. The factory was, was whack, but it was able to help a small company. Mm. So they were able to do 20 shoes, 50 shoes, a hundred shoes. And we saw that there was something there. So I quickly, by my second trip was like, yo, Hav, look, I'm going to stay in China. Wow. And he's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, what? <laughs> like, wait, what the, what? He's like, what? You know, and I'm like, nah, like for real, for real dogs, I'm going to live in China. Like I'm going to, and basically it's not live in China, but it's, I'm going to stay there because you can't live in China. You have to, you can stay there on a passport for like 90 days, Yeah. but I'm going to go 90 days and I'm going to Hong Kong and then I'm going to go back for another 90 days. So, or I'm going to come back to the States. What was it that made you make that decision? You know what? Like, of course there's an immersion in the business, but like, that's a fucking move though. Like, that's a, that's a deliberate move of like, you know what? Like, it's either, all right, I'm about to dip out and just like regroup for a second. Or it's like a, yo, this is an opportunity and we're in a whole new world. Like on some like Thomas Friedman, the world is flat type shit. Like, and I'm going to go out there and really like master this marketplace. Like what? What made that decision? Because Javi's looking at you like, wait, what? Yeah, so for me, it was super clear. I was like this. I'm like, what am I going to tell my kids? What am I going to tell them in the future? I was like Christopher Columbus. Word. Same thing again. Check. I got Hollywood. I got the access. Word. I have this. What don't I have? China. Asia. (sighs) Second, you know, second most, yeah. second most diverse, you know, like for me, it was like the second biggest economy in the world. I'm going to go and make it. And I said to myself, look, if I'm so broke and so poor in the United States, because remember, this is after the economic crisis. So it's one of the worst times in America. Wow. Oh, yeah. There is no money. So I'm like, fuck it. If I got no money here. No money is a little bit better money in China. Yeah. yeah. And I can eat a little bit better. Straight up. With $10, I can buy probably $25 of food versus yep. $10 of food. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And that was literally my thinking. Oh, wow. So I was like, look, I'm going to figure it out. And I saw just a gold mine. I saw myself in the factory. So I started to make more shoes, better product. We launched a second company called Dumb, 
which was easy, simple, dumb product. So now, within a year to two years of me being in China, now we're back on. Androidome has a full collection. Now, all of a sudden, Dom has two separate booths. We got two companies going. We're meeting with the biggest retailers. I'm like, what do you want? I'm learning how to speak Chinese. Yo. So, you know, definitely Xin and Kuala, Ni Hao, Hangao Xin Rishini, Water Ming Zijiao, Si Difu. Which is Water Ming Zijiao. What does that mean? Well, Water Ming is my name. Sidifu wow. is Stephen. Sidifu. Wow. Sidifu. 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 Yeah. So Patino. now all of a sudden, <laughs> I know how to speak Mandarin. I can speak Chinese. I'm now coming into meetings speaking Chinese and saying to them what I'm doing. Why am I here? They're seeing the president of the company of America being with them day in, day night, because they work seven days a week in China. Literally seven days a week they work. Wild. Every single day. There's no days off. That's why Chinese New Year is such a big deal to them because they take off for the first wow. time of the year. I'm learning Mandarin. Little by little, I'm socially climbing. So now I'm starting to little by little get to a better apartment every year. I'm going to Hong Kong. I'm starting to become around celebrities and music they know in China. in China because they see now Javier has access to a lot of celebrities. So he's styling the Usher OMG tour. He's styling. He's now Justin Bieber's wearing shoes in every single picture. So the China's like, holy shit, what kind of brand is it? LeBron James starts to wear Androdome. Wow. Russell Westbrook is wearing Androdome. Diddy's wearing it. Now Swiss Beats, Alicia Keys, the brand starts to grow and... We start to see like, okay, we start to open up UK distribution, Shanghai. We open up the, our, our distributor in Shanghai. We, we set up the licensing and trademarks. So Fuck. we now have power. I'm now part of the most prestigious club in South of China. So I'm meeting with diplomats. We're doing charity no events. So I built this incredible, powerful network of entrepreneurs and expats and have access where now I'm in China, but I have huge Italian families that are helping me that are in- importing Italian olive oil, Italian marble, Italian leather to China. Because you got to understand, like in China, you're dealing with big merchants, yeah. millions and hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of business, billions. Yeah. I then go to Italy for the first time with one of the biggest families. They put me in contact with the Valentino factory. Wow. Androdome is now making product in, in Italy. All of our friends are looking at us like, holy shit. Wild. So this And is, this could not have been done had you not just like taken the zero in the States and knew that like zero as it built up would be way more valuable out there. But you were the global conduit to the brand. And you know, to me, that is Super special because mm. for me, I stayed almost four, four and a half, five years in China, really learning it. And I said to myself, okay, look, we're set up. We're Were there start- times where you just wanted to say fuck it and leave? I would say that not really. Okay. I was on a mission. Yeah. I was on a mission. I'm like, look, I'm going to negotiate. We started a second division of the company. We start selling to finish line. 
you know, I get POs and orders of now 16,000 pairs of shoes, 20,000 and starts to go to 40, 50,000 pairs of shoes. Wild. This is, this is literally like I'm in the biggest offices, the second biggest retailer in the world for footwear. <laughs> I'm going back to Queens, bringing my mom to the mall and saying, here, look, this is finish line. This is Nike Adidas AH by Androdome. Wow. Wow. (laughs) So you're back up. I'm back up. Back up. Back up. And the interesting part of a business and anyone's journey is that you start to see the company grow. Ultimately, we weren't happy with the Chinese product. So we created this amazing, beautiful luxury product. Javier's dream was always to create this affordable luxury product. And it started to become this... 50 60 80 dollar shoe yeah small shoe uh it wasn't what we made happy and at that time when you have and you're dealing with po's that are 300 400 500 dollars and us as an independent company having to come up with like oh shit how do we come up with a quarter million dollars every 30 days like pressure is different like it's like seven hundred fifty thousand dollars in 90 days that kind of cash is really difficult to come by. Oh, yeah. yeah. So... Unless your pipeline is just like in sync. And it wasn't. Yeah. You know, in hindsight, we didn't know that. Got we it. just went with a dream. We didn't know it was going to grow that big. Yeah. You know, so... And that fast. And that fast. And at that time, we were like, look, we made a conscious decision to say, look, this is not what we're... what we dream about. This is not what makes us happy. What about if we position and we start to make the product in Europe? So we made one of the toughest decisions of our life. We basically decided to pivot the company, not sell for almost a year and a half to take zero earnings. Wow. I moved back to LA and pivot the company. Javier is like, look, we're going to go to Europe, fuck China, and we're going to do this because we're not happy where where the company's going. Mm. And we don't want to be, at that time, Creative Recreation had just gone down. We're like, we don't want to be Creative Rec. No. Like, we want to go up. Yeah. So, once again, almost zero revenue for a year to two years. I come back from China and nobody wants to rent me an apartment. Because they're like, show me your rent history. Yeah, you're, you've been gone for fucking five years. I don't have a rent history. <laughs> We have very little money. So I can't like show them like I'm making money. Yeah. So they're like, who the fuck are you? What do you mean you live in China? <laughs> how, how are you, man? Sorry, sorry. To <laughs> like, how are you okay with not making money? Like, just just taking taking that jump, knowing in your mind, like, you know why you're doing it, but there's still no guarantee and it's a, it's a risk. Like... Your ability to take these huge risks, once you already have the success, it's like, I feel a lot of people, it's more natural to take a risk when you don't have anything, because um, you kind of don't have anything to lose, yeah. right? But you you are taking these big jumps, having something already, there's, there's already a level of success and security there. H- how do you... so? I mean, I'll say effortlessly because that's how it, how it kind of sounds. Now you're doing it like the third time through <laughs> and you're just like, fuck it. It's just your personality to go there. But I'm just more infatuated with that that moment, you know, because yeah. I think it's so fucking terrifying, to be honest. It is. And 
It's exactly like that because I remember I'm still figuring out like how do I pay my mom's rent for yeah. that year I couldn't so my mom almost got evicted. Wow! Imagine the pressure of me like Yo. like saying my decisions to be an entrepreneur are affecting the fact that my mom could be evicted <sighs> and she's in her 60s 70s. <sighs> so you know like that that responsibility man. Like, oh yeah and, and think about it so a couple of things that that drive me because. Remember, I come from welfare. I come from food stamps. Yeah. So I'm thinking to myself, I've always thought to myself, I can always get a job. Mm. I'm a beast. I can find a corporate job no matter what. Yeah. So we believe so much in myself and Javier and Sonny at the time and Matt that we're like, look, we're fucking beasts. Matty's showroom did $40 million annual sales. Javier worked with Apple, Nike, you know, what they're making Legend. so much money. Yeah. Legendary. They created the nightlife here yeah. that's, you know, in LA. That the young guns are taking ownership of, but they built the castle. They built it, the castle. Yeah. They created, it wasn't, it didn't exist before yeah. that. So we all bet on ourselves. Mm. You know, Javier had to sell some of his property we had to then basically go back to like nothing, uh, take almost whatever we could. I couldn't find a place to live. So I go back and I ask Matt, can I sleep in his living room? And I don't even have a couch. I have his pillow cushions on the floor with a blanket. Because his couch was too small for me. Wild. Hey, where's that black diamond watch, dog? <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> like, where's that? Where's that right now? You know where that is? I sold that watch to get my Lexus. Oh, shit. That's how real it was. Oh, shit. So wow. later, because I didn't have even the money or the credit at that time because I have no revenue coming in to then. So I'm like, you know what? I got to pawn the watch to get the Lexus or else wow. I don't even have a car to, to navigate in wow. LA. <laughs> oh. I'm glad we know where the watch was. <laughs> so I was about to say, bro, you have like a year's like uh, worth of something right there. That's insane. And so now I'm sleeping on the floor with Matt's dog, Max. Good old Max. Good old Max. I'm on the floor. I got his blanket. My back is fucking killing me because yeah. I sleep on the floor. Yeah. And Fuck. we're there and I do that for like probably like six to nine months. Wow. And I'm just like, yo, I got to figure this out. So imagine we're going to work just trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out. Luckily, Lorena, the same girl that gave me the couch, she's moving to Dubai. And she lets me le- stay at her spot. Wow. Shout out to Lorena. Lorena's an angel, dog. And I don't have to give a security deposit, thank God. And I don't have to buy furniture. So I don't have money for any of that. Yeah. I just have to pay the rent. And I move into an apartment right, on, right near the Grove. It's, it's like $990 for like a one bedroom. I'm like, thank God. <laughs> yeah. you, went, uh, you, you woke up the next day like, my back feels Oh, oh I have a bed. Real. What was that like the first night on the bed? 
this appreciation, bro. Like, I feel you. So much gratitude. I feel so you. So much gratitude. A bed. A bed. Yeah. Think of this. My, like what I've lived through. A bed. From like a bed to four apartments. Yeah. Remember, apartment on each coast. Yeah. To a bed. Yo. Thank God I have a bed. <sighs> and that's why, and I believe like now, Anush, you know me for years. Yeah. When you see me, you see this like, guy who feels blessed and yes. grateful and loving yes. cuz i've fucking been through it. Yes. You know what i mean? Yes. Like i've been through it all. I've been through it. So now all of a sudden that was probably the hardest and best decision of our life. Mm. It was really Javier spearheading the direction of the company and saying, "Look, we're going to go to Europe and one thing that no one can deny is quality. And if we're making our shoes in Italy, no matter whether you want to fuck with us or not, you can't deny we're made in Italy. Yeah. We're made at the Valentino factory. So we we then all of a sudden we start to open up Kith in New York because Ronnie Feigs, a friend of mine, um, he's from Queens. So shout out to Queens. Shout out to Queens for real. We open up. The UK starts to expand. China starts to expand. The product's now the most beautiful it's ever been. It's made in Europe. We open up Saks Fifth Avenue. So I quickly go from that apartment there on Blackburn to like, I start to move closer to Beverly Hills. So now I'm in Beverly Hills running one day and I'm listening to positive motivational tapes like Les Brown. And he says on this one tape, you got to be hungry. And that's how he says it. You got to be hungry. So I'm running. I'm in Beverly Hills. I'm running down Rodeo. And I see Saks Fifth Avenue. I'm breathing. I'm like this. And, he, and I hear Les Brown behind me. He's like, you got to be hungry. At that time, I had just met the senior uh, fashion director at Saks, Eric Jennings, through a deal that we brokered in our showroom in Milan. Wow. So we broke one of the biggest showrooms that had Off-White and Marcelo Brulon. Now, all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm going to play this. So there's something where you create this alter ego, which a lot of the most successful people do. So in that state of mind, I'm like, all right, Steve, this is your shot. This is life. You're going to walk into Saks and you're going to introduce yourself. I'm in sweats. I got my iPod on. You, like, you just got I'm done in, running. I'm running. I'm sweating. But you know what? I said to myself, the reality, if you believe your reality, which my reality was, I am the president of Androdome who makes shoes at the Valentino factory, who knows Eric Jennings, the, the director of fashion at Saks. Your showroom is in Milan. I am a beast. I'm going to walk in as... You and believed it. I live in the Beverly Hills area. So... I am just that guy yeah. who happens to be running in his neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. Facts. Facts. All, all facts. 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 I go. You were jumping over Jumpman. Definitely. Straight up. I walk in literally. So you see what I'm wearing. Yeah. Right. I'm sweaty. I'm in my shorts. I'm in Asics. Yeah. And I walk in as if I'm in a three-piece suit. I feel you. I walk in. Shake someone's hand. Hi, I'm Steve Patino. Um, yeah, oh, actually, I just met your your head of fashion. Oh, great. You know, the guy who I talked to is the footwear ambassador of Saks Fifth Avenue. 
randomly of the men's shoe department. When you walk in. When I walk in. The first guy. Yo. And I'm like hungry. But I'm shitting bricks because I'm like, holy shit. Now I have to fucking step up. Yo. And game time. Yeah. Like game face on. Yeah. I fix my nonverbal shoulders up. Now I'm all of a sudden. I'm showing him the shoes on my iPhone. No collection. Like on my iPhone. Showing him random shoes. He's like, hold up, hold up. You need to meet the GM of Saks Fifth Avenue. Now I'm really shitting bricks. Yeah. He, I'm like, I'm in fucking like, I'm sweaty. I'm like sweating balls. iPod on like, I'm in fucking Asics and shorts <laughs> in a tank top. You're about to fucking call the G, the guy who's going to like be the make or break deal. You're calling the GM of Saxon Avenue? Yeah. Oh, shit. And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Game face, Steve. Game face, game face. Now I'm in a fucking yeah. Tom Ford suit. Yeah, I feel in my you. mind. Ugh. Right? Ugh. Just with a quickness. He comes on. He comes out. Now I'm meeting Glenn McCarthy. Hi, Glenn. How are you? I'm, I'm Steve <laughs> Patino. You know, thank you for me, meeting me. You know, thank you so much. I just happened to be running in the neighborhood. Yeah. I just moved in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love what you're doing with the floor. Yep. It looks fantastic. Yeah. And actually, I just met Eric Jennings. He's like, oh, Eric's great because Eric's, you know, one of yeah. the heads of SACS, decision makers of what happens of all of SACS. He goes, do you have any shoes? I'm like, no, but I can show you on my phone. I'm literally showing the GM of Saxon Avenue, Beverly Hills, on my fucking iPhone, the collection. He's geeking. Wild. Within 20 to 30 minutes. He's now pitching me on why Androdome needs to choose Saxon Avenue as their fucking home. Wild. And now I'm like, well, Ooh. you know, we're still making decisions. Yeah. For Holy real. Shit. You went from you went you went from suit changes to now you're like, look, I need to get on the phone with my partners and our legal team and see if this is the right decision. But know that you're top of mind. <laughs> and thank les brown thank the motivational you know and at that time you know also thanks to javier he was bringing on like we paid for a course with a gentleman called john Asaroff, who is like a tony robbins figure where we were basically programming ourselves and through that we would go to the offices and we would drill these motivational tapes while and affirmations and while we're there like you got to be hungry you got to want it and you hear like arnold schwarzenegger and you would hear like will smith because we're fucking in the gutter basically you know what i mean like we had to make it yeah and i've always been in my life someone who's never been scared to make the move however i was intimidated by the bigness of it yeah and figured out like when i first got to China, I remember being in front of the Canton Club, which is the most prestigious private membership club. Then later on, I rocked it. I was probably one of the premier members of it. I remember being in front of Saks and being like, oh my God, Saks motherfucking Fifth Avenue and being like scared and intimidated by it. Yeah. And then having a great relationship with Saks Fifth Avenue till now. <sighs> so Glenn comes out. He's like, look, Steve, 
wait one second. Here's the buyer's contact to corporate in New York. Please contact them. Yo, off your phone. I, I, I leave in run. my fucking shorts. Bugging. <laughs> bugging. <laughs> bugging. I'm like, I call Matt and Javi. I'm like, oh, you have no idea what just fuck just happened. Here, and I send them a picture. Here's the buyer for Saks Fifth Avenue corporate New York. <laughs> and this is what perseverance, dedication, believing yourself. And if I didn't have the balls and the guts to move from Blackburn to the Beverly Hills area, not thinking that I don't have everything straight, I just knew myself, you know, a woman in Hong Kong who really helped me, she always says, Steve, you need to put yourself in positions where you're uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So you need to pay the rent that you can't afford mm. because you'll figure out how to pay that rent. Yeah. You need to buy the better car because yes. if not, you're not going to get to the next car. You're damn right. And that was that. So because I took the journey and the leap in that unsettled, unclear time to move to the Beverly Hills area was why I was running and doing exercise in Beverly Hills on Rodeo. Wow. If I chose to be scared and kind of figure it out little by little, I'd be living in Fairfax and maybe I would have been in a Melrose store. Yeah. Right. But no, I was in Saks Fifth Avenue. Yes. Because right? right. that was my community. Yeah. So now all of a sudden, the company starts to sell to Saks Fifth Avenue. Kith is starting to buy more product. We then open up Harvey Nichols, which is like the Barneys of the UK. We're now selling to over 200 stores in the UK. The brand starts to take off. And we see that now, all of a sudden, Androdome becomes a global brand. Mm. I moved back. And at that time, I'm thinking about a couple of things that are happening. So I moved back. I see what happens. Because in China, you don't have Google. There's no YouTube. Yeah, you're Social off. media is blocked. Mm. So a lot of the stuff that was happening with like Lamar and Jamie and Bobby... My business, my older business partners, I see their show. So I see that the Lamar and Chloe show is on TV and I'm like, holy shit. Like, you know, a part of me is like, wow, like what if I would have stayed there? Yeah. Yeah. I would have been an alpha celebrity. But again, what we realize like is that Hollywood can make you believe whatever they want you to. Those personal demons don't leave motherfuckers. They could just be not shown. And one of the scariest things that happened within that was that I saw one of the episodes with Lamar and Jamie and I saw Jamie like really fucking up and Lamar's really? telling him like, yo, now Lamar is helping Jamie. And wow, I was like, yo, is this, I was like, why would Jamie let himself be portrayed like that on TV? Cause he was like literally in the shower, drunk, a mess, like oh, house was all fucked up. Chloe is like having kind of like an intervention with him on the show saying like, yo, Lamar, like your boy's fucking up. And it was just such a negative portrayal of him that I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. And, but I was detached for like five, six years. I hadn't been a part of the company probably for like eight years. Yeah. So I haven't been a part of like Lamar now for like 10, 12 years. Wow. Or, or Jamie. Yeah. And I come back, I'm just really like trying to figure my life out. And during that time, I start dating my ex-girlfriend again, which is now my wife. Incredible. Which you know. Wow. Yeah, so shout out to Samantha. I love you. Samantha. 
Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And so we were dating probably like five, six years ago back then, like seven years while I was at takeout. When I moved to China, we had both broke up. We went yeah. different ways. She then reaches out to me, not knowing if I have a kid, if I'm married, whatever, as a really like just, hey, How are you? I've been thinking about you. Let me just take this leap of faith. Yeah. And we then, thanks to my good friend Lily, Lily G, Lily G Money, <laughs> I go to her and I talk to her and I'm like, yo, I don't know if I want to, you know, open up an ex-girlfriend yeah. situation. Like I'm in this new place. Yeah. And she was like, look, you know, if you, people change. Yeah. You know, and you change, she's changed. You never know. Yeah. So, of course, there's this incredible chemistry between my wife and I, and we go on one day, and it's a wrap. It's Word. Like we're just That's inseparable. Yeah. We've always had an incredible chemistry. Yeah. Um, so now my life, and, you know, to your question, like, how can I make those decisions? Yeah. Because at that time, we were very fortunate. So I'm, a, I'm, a lot, I'm fortunate because I create situations in my life where I'm around very, very powerful, intelligent, successful people. Mm. So at that time, Bobby's mom had one, a gentleman who helped set up the educational system and how USC works as from a top level, teaching the college. Wow. And he would create something called pillars. And he would say, look, Steve, your pillars need to be on high. So your love life, your personal, your friendship, your finance, your business, your goal is to get all of them on high. So I was able to make the decision to say, look, I can leave this company because my pillars are not on high. So I'd rather be in a situation where I'm healthy. I'm in a good relationship. I like my business partners. And all I need to do is get my finances up. Mm. So for me, my decision making is more holistic. It's not just about opportunity. Oh, so interesting. And because that's really what that for me is what I believe is a beautiful life. Yeah. And that's why you can see me so happy and so zen, <laughs> even real. in the hardest moments. For real. Because that is a key. So I the year after we got engaged, the year after we got married, <sighs> I think within that year, the engagement and the wedding happened. Yeah. Um and now, all of a sudden, for us, we find out last year, and probably like a year or two almost, that Jamie dies. Wow. Oh, my God. So this is Lamar's best friend. That was my business partner. Yeah, the one that was... Uh, having trouble on the show. Yeah. And that's why I tell you later, like, it was a life or death situation. Yeah. Because... And that was probably one of the most hardest parts of my life yeah. because I'm like, I distanced myself away from childhood friends yeah. and business partners that I live with. I lived with Jamie. Yeah. And that to me was so difficult for me because I'm like, fuck. But because I was scared and I'm like, I need to protect myself in my life because I don't know what could happen. Yeah. It's like, am I letting them down or am I going to drown? You or am I going to die? Yeah. And this is the first time I've ever told this to anybody. Wow. But, you know, and it's public news and it's out there. Yeah. But, you know, he, he died. <sighs> and then two weeks later, Bobby dies. <sighs> wow. And I'm like, 
oh my god and i tell my wife and literally i'm crying at home and i'm like babe like i don't know what would happen if i would have stayed and two of my best friends die so it was life or death so i'm just like you know and literally i'm like crying and i'm like crying to my wife and i'm just like oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god thank god i'm Thank God of the decisions I made. Yeah. Thank God of the decisions I said to, you know, steer right. Yeah. And it was tragic, you know, because Bobby was such an incredible light of a person. Jamie was a fucking superstar. He was, everybody loved him. Um, And then you see the stuff that starts to happen to Lamar on the news. Yeah. They divorce with Chloe it just fucking starts to spiral. It's a downward spiral. It's a downward spiral. And I'm like, oh my God. Thank God I got out of that. So I'm not associated to any of that. Yeah. And this is like 10, 12 years ago. Um, and I tell my business partners like, yo, did you fucking hear this shit? Like, this is crazy. Um, <clears throat> and during that time, while we were building Android, I... One of my childhood protégés was LV the stylist, Leo, that I told you about. <sighs> During that time, he was also part of that video. So he was somebody that came from New York, had this incredible energy. Um, him and Javier styled and designed the OMG tour for Usher. Wow. So during the time when I was in China, Leo's career was starting to blow up. Awesome. So he was working with Kid Cudi. I introduced Leo to Kanye. Leo introduced me to Jeremy Scott. Wow. Leo also introduced me to Miguel, wow. you know, which we have friends in common. So I remember at that time being at Sony Studios with Miguel and Miguel was like, the album hadn't come out yet. We helped style and Leo styled his first album cover yeah. out of the first videos. So the mm. visuals of Miguel prior were really created with Leo. That really fits that Leo aesthetic at that time too. Yeah. To a T. Did you know Leo? No, LV? yeah. No, so but I knew, but like, it's crazy because when you speak it, it's like finding out about his passing. Yeah, I went back and was just like looking up the crate, like just in the depths of it, and I was like, wait, what? He knew X, Y, Z, and this, that, the other, and then started to like dig into it, and like you could see that influence. And and Leo was pro- is probably one of the most incredible people I've ever met in my life. Like he could. He literally will walk into a room and Puffy would be like, yo, who the fuck are you? (laughs) Straight up. He would be on tour with Usher and he would leave with the baddest girl. Yeah. Yeah. And Usher would be like, who the fuck are you? (laughs) This is Usher on the OMG tour. Yeah, on his tour. On his tour. His tour. And he's leaving with the baddest one. Wow. Leo saw some of the most gorgeous supermodels in the world on a magazine and be with us and our friends in Queens and be like, yo, I'm going to bag that. (laughs) And we're like, Leo, you don't even fucking know her. (laughs) (laughs) Next year, that's his girlfriend. Wild. That was LV. That was Leo from Evident Future. That was LV the stylist. So quickly, he became a big part of our clique. So me, Javier, Jerry, Ibin, Kid Cudi, anything was happening in fashion in LA, 
we were part of that conversation. Yeah. The Crooks and Castles guys, we were all coming up together. Yeah. And it's crazy. My back's starting to hurt like, yeah. from all this time. Yeah, I'm not used to being like this long on a podcast. Yeah, right. So his career starts to take off. We start to travel to Paris. Android's blowing up. We're helping Evident Future. Me and Matt are helping him get to his limits. We then partner up with one of our friends from New York. He helps us invest some money into Evident Future. All of a sudden now, Miguel starts to blow up. Like, our life is incredible. Yeah. You know? Back up again. Yeah. Ba- way up. <laughs> way up. Way, way, way up. And now we move all of the production from Portugal to Italy. Mm. The company even gets stronger. Wow. We start making some of the best shoes we've ever made in our life. As we pivot and we grow, we move Android Home from downtown LA to now West Hollywood to this gorgeous loft where we design from. And my life starts to change because now I'm a part of this LA culture. Our friends are killing it. You know, Dean Andres, F54, yeah. Young and Reckless. Now Jerry Lorenzo has Fear of God blows up to, to the magnitude Nth that it degree. is. Yeah. You know, Kanye marries Kim. It's like, this is just yeah. another it's world. It's a movie. Yeah, Literally, yeah. it's the biggest movie in the world. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, this is, this is what it is, you know. Now, all of a sudden, Sergio, who was my best friend that says, you need to bottle up Sneaker Steve, connects me with French Montana and his crew. Now, I'm at home and I'm on FaceTime with French. Like, so it's just... And then he starts to date Chloe. And I'm like, what just the like, fuck? Shit. What the fuck is good? <laughs> For real. I'm like, yo. <laughs> and so now we're connected to this incredible crew. Um, you know, I meet Dougie. Dougie's managing Swaggy P. Yeah. I, I'm... I'm I currently live in a different world. Yeah. My access, my power, yeah. our friends, our network, our driving the culture. Um, I meet uh, a friend of mine, O'Neill. He introduces me to Russell Simmons. I now do yoga, tantris yoga with <laughs> Russell Simmons and do guided meditation. <laughs> you dig? <laughs> you dig? Yeah. This is... and. My life has become very holistic, has become very Zen. You know, I studied Tai Chi while I was in China. So that's why I bring this kind of like Zen yeah. Buddhism mixture to my spirituality yeah. as a person. I understand that in China, when you shake someone's hand, before you shake your hand, there's probably 10 things that happen. Life is at another level of mastery. It's more chess. So I become very calculated in my decision making, yeah. how I speak to people, yeah. how I present myself, what my deals are. And we now start to create some of the, for Android, between three to $400, we become the best forward company in the world. In the world, hands down. No questions asked. So we currently now see what's happening with the market. LA starts to explode. And then Leo dies. So now three of my business partners have died. Oh my God. And I'm like, Oh my God. You know, and probably one of the toughest parts about that is that he was also going in a different direction than Matt and I. Wow. And he wasn't responding. So one of the most loved, beloved people in the industry 
that everyone loves, privately, I'm not getting along with him because I'm like, yo, dude, you're fucking up the business. Wow. Like, yo, I got to pay my mom's rent. I'm trying to fucking build Android home. My time is worth a lot of money. Like, you need to fucking step, step up. Step the fuck up. And, you know, God bless his soul, rest in peace. It's so hard for me because <clears throat> when he passed away, he really, I didn't talk to him for a few months. <clears throat> And then he died tragically. He was caught by uh, an ocean current, by a riptide. And his family is one of the most incredible families in the world. He's one of the most amazing people I've ever, I've never met anybody like him. And he died while I was mad at him. And I was, and I was mad at him because he was fucking up our chance and our friends our childhood friends who are famous had lent yeah. us money to do this. So I'm like, look, bro, we can't fucking disrespect our friends. And he ultimately, in your eyes, was fucking up like his greatness. Totally. He, yeah. Like above all else. Right? And I had already given him 10, 14 years of my life yeah. guiding him yeah. all throughout since yeah. he's like 14 years old. Yeah. And I'm just like... I start to get the texts and I'm nervous at the time. I'm like, oh my God, I got to go back to Queens. I got to see his mom. I got to see his dad. I got to see his brother. The internet goes crazy because everybody knows Leo, you know, from Miguel to Usher to, uh, to Twigs, (coughs) who's crazy, who, who married fucking Robert Patterson, you know, like from Twilight. Yeah. 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 And I'm speaking to Twigs and she's like, yo, you don't know what Leo was like this to me. Like what inspiration he was at the funeral. The hood is all there because he's from our hood. And they're like, yo, do you see who the fuck is here? Like literally like there's celebrities, limos pulling up to Leo's like the whole industry. He was probably like one of the most impactful people to our industry. Yeah. In terms of energy, mm. creativity, beautiful souls. Yeah. And he hit a dark spell. Yeah. And I don't know to this day what happened. He yeah. just closed off. Yeah. And I don't know. He didn't come to me for help where he could have. Mm. I was his brother. And then he dies. And this shit fucking like. Uh, to this day, I'm like in shock. Yeah. Because it just happened like last year. So. Yeah. It's really difficult, you know, and to me, Especially not, no closure. There's no closure. I, mean, I didn't have closure with all three of them. I didn't have closure. Fucking insane. I didn't have closure with any of them. And for me, I was like, holy shit. And I just told my wife, I was like, look, these decisions that I make to choose to move the way I do are literally life or death situations. Yeah. Like I, and I've done that my whole life. I'm like, you know, me protecting myself from the streets and understanding the streets, like shit can go down, you can die. Yeah. And that's why anybody listening to this that has a friend that sees somebody going through it and you might be mad at them or you might see something happening, you need to tell them like, yo, this is not okay. You need to change your life. Yeah. You need to stop this because you can fucking die. Yeah. And... 
that was a year ago. And for me, I'm blessed because I really have created and carved out a life where now all of a sudden, all of this hard work that I've done is now leading me to where I'm at now. Mm. So now, Androdome wise, one of the best footwear companies in the world independently, we <clears throat> last week had one of our most amazing meeting at Barney's. Incredible. A meeting with the senior buyer at Barney's. Incredible. We met with the fashion director at Bergdorf Goodman. <sighs> this is like the elite of the elite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I met at the new corporate offices at Saks Fifth Avenue. I met with Kyle, who's now senior VP at Viacom. I'm at Innovation at Viacom. Right? Big so bro. Innovation Labs. I'm meeting with the head of Complex Network, the biggest media group. I'm going to Jimmy Fallon to go meet the roots. And I understand my importance in this industry, in this life. I take my life very seriously. Yeah. I then hit and which is very humbling to me i get interviewed on drama's podcast it's an immediate hit yeah drama hits me up he's like yo you got higher numbers on your first day than karam butler <sighs> i look at it and it's me and rob deerdick getting the highest ratings wild over like shep gordon nick diamond <sighs> motherfucking p rod and it's me and rob deerdick insane and to me, I'm at a point right now where I'm the happiest I've ever been. Yeah. To kind of like shake off that yeah. that stuff. I'm the healthiest, right? Yeah. It's a state of mind, right? Yeah. So like now shake it off. I'm healthy. I'm eating mostly vegetarian and vegan. I have a strict lifestyle. I do I listen to podcasts. I do yoga in the morning. I drink mostly water. I don't really drink alcohol. I don't do any drugs. I'm super positive and inspirational. I'm part of a new uh, footwear network, which is a media network called Sneaker Inc. It's about to be so crazy. I'm part of a new TV show as a panelist. I am now on the Mama We Made It podcast. You better fucking yeah. believe that. Telling the Sneaker Steve, Queens to Hollywood story. <sighs> I'm starting my own podcast called Kicking It with Sneaker Steve. <sighs> yeah. And they're setting me up with a new interview series where I just did my first interview series where I was filmed in Miami interviewing stores for a new network on TV. Lit. That's getting pitched to all the major networks which could trickle out and expand into like a Anthony Bourdain around the world with Sneaker Steve. That's oh, incredible. Shit. That can go on in it's Netflix. It's And I'm about to have a son. <laughs> Hey, full circle. Full circle. Look at the timing. Look at the watch. Look at the watch. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, and we're in part right now, which I can't talk about, but we're in the middle of negotiating some of the biggest deals in our life for Android. Incredible. We're sitting with some of the biggest people in our industry to create the future. The company is about to be out of here. You heard it first on Mama, we made it. You better fucking believe it. And this is the Sneaker Steve story. <sighs> Mama, we made it.